the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Tuesday, June 6th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 245. Powered by the National Pulse. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out Steak for Breakfast on thenationalpulse.com. There you'll find our exclusive members-only content and links that will take you to the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. Hey, everybody. We've got a big episode of the show today. I'm Ron. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's keying up. We've got a great slate of guests. Congressman Troy Nels and George Santos are going to be joining us. We're going to sit down with Sean Parnell for the first time and even touch base with retired Army Colonel Douglas McGregor. We've got a lot of breaking news topics happening as well. Is Christopher Ray about to be held in contempt of Congress? We'll talk about it. And we've got two big slates of the 2024 GOP political roundup. One and two coming in hot today. So before we get to any of that, let's take it up to Capitol Hill change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back. Guys, don't forget to be following the Steak for Breakfast podcast at thenationalpulse.com. That's thenationalpulse.com, where you're going to get all that bonus content when you sign up for Pulse Plus. Speaking of bonus content, that's free for today. And as we start the show up on Capitol Hill, joining us first is the congressman who represents Texas 22. He's America first. We love it when he comes on. Mr. Troy Nels, thanks for joining us today. Good to be with you. Thank you, men. Oh, it's our pleasure. How's everything going with you? Busy week following the fallout from the debt ceiling negotiations last week. You want to weigh in on that for our listenership as we're getting ready to kick off the show? Sure. It's a battle up here. It's a battle up here every day when you have uh, one half of one third of the control up here. Uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, that was a very difficult vote. Uh, we, we we got something. We didn't get enough, but we got something uh, the Democrats play hardball. They're very, very tough negotiators. And, and so now uh, that we're beyond that, we're past that. Now the another battle's coming up will be the appropriations bills. And, and uh, I just think that we have to be very fiscally conservative and be responsible to the taxpayers. So uh, let's see what happens. But uh, the American people gave us the gavel. They're expecting some leadership from us. And now uh, let's provide that leadership. Speaking of which, we've seen Kevin McCarthy making the rounds, as is your uh, congressional counterpart, James Comer, a lot over the last week. It seems like you guys are going to be voting on on contempt of Congress uh, on Thursday of this week. How are you guys looking at this? You know, I know you sit on the Judiciary Committee, and, and the oversight's the one that, that this were kind of, you know, where it broke out of. But this is, this is scandalous. This is a big story that, you know, people are finally starting to shed the light on. But this is something that could lead to some severe consequences for people up there in D.C., and severe consequences, and rightfully so, because the more you peel back the onion on this, you just just find out how you know nasty and dirty, and quite honestly, I'll use the word corrupt, the FBI and the DOJ is, specifically the leadership within the FBI. What they did to Trump, what, whether it's Hunter's laptop, the disinformation, all that stuff with Russia. I just, it, it, I think it's sad, because when you look at the FBI as a whole, I think it was... 
I'm an old lawman, did it for 30 years. I right. think it was the most respected law enforcement agency in our country. They were here to do best, you know, there. And the men and women that are working for the FBI, there's a lot of hardworking men and women that are out there addressing, you know, child predators and doing all that other stuff. And they're doing a lot of good work to try to keep the American people safe. It's the leadership that I'm concerned about within the FBI, the leadership. Yeah, it's it's Christopher. You know, it's funny because you already see a lot of the, the liberal outlets, MSNBC, CNN. They're already saying like, oh, you know, Congress is going to try and do their thing. But we all remember what happened or didn't happen to, uh, you know, former government official Eric Holder. And, uh, you know, I, I think we're in a different day and age right now, especially heading into an election cycle where if he, we hold Director Ray in contempt of Congress and he just kind of tries to ignore it like Eric Holder does. This is something that could definitely tie down Joe Biden moving into the next election cycle as part of the hypocrisy that, you know, a lot of his administration's platform is kind of, you know, on display for the American people to see. That's right. And we need to hold Christopher Ray accountable. He wants, you know, what did they do to Steve Bannon? When, when they did a contempt with him, then he didn't he go into jail for a while. The point is, is that I think when I believe that when the American people gave the Republicans the gavel here uh, for this Congress, I think they're expecting leadership. They're begging for leadership, quite honestly, and they're demanding answers. They want answers into this family. They want answers into elections. They want answers into the FBI and what they did to Trump. They want answers into Mar-a-Lago. They want answers into COVID. They want answers into all of this. So there are so many investigations that I think need to be completed up here. And some of them have started. And I got my hat's off to James Comer, uh, who's the chair over government oversight reform. He's got a, a, a big issue on his hands. I mean, he's, you know, people want answers yesterday, rightfully so. But I think he's being slow and methodical on, on, on how he's going about this. And I think uh, in the end, the conclusion will be that this Biden family uh, in collusion with the, with the FBI, the DOJ and everybody uh, did everything they could to, to, to go after Trump, even going back to Hillary Clinton. So I, I applaud his efforts, but the American people are demanding answers. And I think Jim Jordan on judiciary, we're doing everything I think that, that we can to try to expose, you know, just looking at the Durham report yep. and some others and bringing, bringing these whistleblowers up front. It's the right thing to do. And staying in that same thread, Congressman, we are going to have John Durham testify before you guys at some point in the near future? Yes, yes, we are. It's going to happen here in June. Long report. Got to read the report. It's several hundred pages. A lot of work to do. It's going to be very uh, interesting for the American public to finally hear the voice of John Durham, especially when it's in, uh, you know, congressional committee. Um, I do want to kind of stay in the same thread, you know, all the stuff that's going on, Durham, FBI, and stuff like that. We heard that you got some exclusive January 6th footage last night. Do you want to let our listenership know anything that you could tell them at this point? Well, I, I just think when it comes to January 6th, you know, that, that was a, a sad day for America when you see what took place. Sure. And, and there's so much misinformation out there as well that Benny Thompson... You know, in the sham committee, Benny was the puppet and Nancy's the puppet master. Mm -hmm. Every person on that committee, even including the, the two uh, Pelosi Republicans with Kensinger and Liz Cheney, thank goodness they are no longer here. <laughs> Everybody, they had one thing in common. They hated Donald Trump. They wanted to make this about Donald Trump. They don't want Donald Trump coming back. They hate the man. They despise the man. They wake up every morning thinking about him and they go to bed thinking about him. So that sham committee didn't really shed a lot of truth about January 6th and why did it happen? What can we do to make sure that it doesn't happen again? It was all Donald Trump's fault. Everything is Donald Trump's fault. So I think there's some we need to have a few hearings 
on that as well as it relates to all the thousands of hours that's starting to come out now or the video. There's a there's a, a, a key person in this thing, uh, which was the assistant chief Pittman, who's no longer here. As soon as we took over the majority, she's out of here. Yep. So Nancy found her a nice cush job there being the chief at UC Berkeley, mm. making almost three hundred thousand dollars a year. They cut deals with the chief of police here, Manger, to give her some unpaid leave so she could collect her pension. So it's just it stinks to high heaven. I would love five minutes with that woman. I need five minutes at a judiciary hearing with her because I'm telling you, she could have prevented January 6th from ever taking place. She hid the intelligence. She didn't share it with anybody. And it just it should have never happened. January 6th should have never happened. That's what the American people need to know. Yeah, they certainly do. And as you get to break down those tapes and then eventually get bring it to committee, Congressman, we are really looking forward to some, you know, uh, I don't want to say like positive disposition, but like the true narrative to come out, because I think that's what the American people have been robbed of to this point. You know, I. Yeah. I see the way that they're going, especially when you saw that uh, sedition charges were, 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 you know, put on the Oath Keeper guy uh, a couple weeks ago. They are going to try and probably tag something like that in that neighborhood to Donald Trump before the presidential election. And I just don't see once all the facts come out how anything like that is going to stick. Let me tell you, this has all been about Donald Trump. Everything has been about Donald Trump. And I talked about this. Listen, I was one of the last members to leave the House floor, if not the last member. I had a conversation with the knucklehead on the other side of the door. I know more about January 6th than just about anybody. Matter of fact, Leader McCarthy asked me to be one of the five on the select committee, but Nancy uh, Pelosi rejected us the first time in the history of Congress. Yep. A speaker rejects a minority leader's picks to be on a select committee. And I highlight it all in the book. It's all in the book endorsed by Donald Trump. Two chapters of the 10 talk about January 6th. It talks about January 6th and the issues with January 6th. I'm telling you, it's a great book. Donald Trump loves the book. And I told the great president, I said, sir, he endorsed the book. I said, every American needs to read this book because it really clears his name. People heard from this sham committee day in and day out with the dishonest media spreading these half-truths and down-out lies about about what took place on January 6th and the book will, sh the book will shed some light on it, the, the big fraud. I'd, I'd encourage your viewers uh, to, to get that book. It'd be very, very We've got pleasing. ours right here. Yeah, we've got our copy in studio. Yep. I, I enjoyed it so much I bought Noah a copy and it's in our studio right now. So we endorsed the book as well. We yeah, thought it was highly recommended. Read. And uh, hey, I want to go. I want to spend just one second. I want to go back to this deal with Joe Biden, if you don't mind. And, and this is my concern right now. Joe Biden has announced that he's seeking reelection. Yep. I kind of like that. Me personally, I like that. I would not, could not, will not support the the uh, to see us impeach uh, Joe Biden. I, I don't like that idea because I want Joe Biden to be the nominee. I want him, I want the Democrats to crown him as their king for 2024, because I think that is the best way for us to get the White House back. Donald Trump beat him, he beat him, he beat him badly, beat him, he beat him. We all know this. And in a free and fair election in 2024, I believe Donald Trump will beat Joe Biden. I don't know. I, I said sometimes I think we should slow down the investigations or wait till he's the nominee and then continue to expose the corrupt family because we know they're corrupt. But I just don't want to see someone else jump into this race where Joe has to bow out of this thing because of his corrupt kid and the entire family. I want Joe Biden to be the nominee. I would like your thought. Well, I think that uh, you make the excellent case there. 
there would be, I mean, we all see Hillary Clinton creeping in the background. She's talking about Joe Biden's age. She's, you know, sitting in all these town halls and stuff with her daughter, but she always circles back to policy points. We all know people have floated Michelle Obama. I, I really don't think that she's going to get in the race, but we've seen weirder things. And then, of course, Gavin Newsom, he's he's chomping at the bit so bad. He was checking out uh, redecorating ideas when Joe Biden was out of the country a few months ago in the White House. He wants to make the rest of the country as crappy as California is right now. And, uh, you know, some of your congressional counterparts can can definitely do a uh elaborate in on Gavin Newsom because you know like Kevin Kiley he comes on the show he fought him in the state senate here for years and now he's you know crushing him up on Capitol Hill and, and pushing back on the Biden administration with you so it's just interesting to see how this field could kind of play out republican side we don't really see any challengers resonating with the american public because Donald Trump is the greatest political icon of our lifetime i mean he's probably going to walk in the gop primary have some fun with the debates once he decides to get into them and and, and then you know move on to the general election and we're in the the same demographic as you congressman we want to see trump and joe biden we want to see the debate stage where joe biden is held into account every single thing that donald trump has accused him of now once christopher ray gets held in contempt is coming true donald trump was honest you had these moderators you had the print press you had the legacy media and joe biden himself his whole team the dnc saying none of the things donald trump uh, you know alleged he had done in the past or was doing as part of his campaign was true and they've all come true and, and that's kind of what we've been you know pushing on our show for so long just look as receipt after receipt continues to drop if we you know joe biden's going to be so beat up by 2024 I don't see how he even gets like two quarters of the votes that he got in the first election. Yeah, you mentioned Michelle Obama. I, I tell you the way people vote today. And, and I just I don't want to see a gal like that get into this race. No. I, I want Joe Biden. I I've said, that he, you know, we should be sending him twenty five dollars to make sure that he secures <laughs> that nomination on, on the Democrat side, because I believe that's when Donald Trump, the greatest president in my lifetime. I agree with you. I'm I'm Trump all the way. Call me mega. Call me whatever the hell you want. But I'm a Donald Trump guy. I think he can come back and save this country. And I'll tell you what he'll do. And I've said it to the president. I said, sir, you're going to do what Grover Cleveland did. Grover Cleveland. You know, it was only he and Donald Trump. Yep. When they were up for reelection, they had more votes than they did than their first. Then their first uh, election, and they were the only two that lost. But Grover Cleveland came back, right? Grover Cleveland comes back. Donald Trump is going to do what Grover Cleveland did. I told it to him. I said, you're going to make history. You're going to be the second guy that's done it. Grover Cleveland did it, and now you're going to do it. Certainly agree Write with you it there. Down. We will mark it and, and definitely put it up in an audio clip as soon as the GOP primary heads into the general, and then we go to vote on November 8th of next year. Congressman, this has been awesome sitting down with you today. We know you're always working hard up there on Capitol Hill, and you've got a ridiculously busy schedule sitting on committees, representing the House Freedom Caucus. I mean, you guys even had enough time today to sit down with us when you're out there busting the uh, chops of the Target executives for, some people want to call it pride. It's a lot more disgusting than that. Uh, stuff going on down with their corporation. You want to elaborate on that? What is number one target? I hope you go broke. <laughs> I hope you go broke. I think the people are pushing back, even when you look at Bud Light. But these these corporate elitists, they want to go out there and continue to behave this way. I hope you all go broke. The American people, at least the sensible ones, they're turning on you. They're sick and tired of this. Your job is to make your shareholders money. Stay out of the politics because you're not very good at it. You're not very good at it. Stay out of the politics. I just think it's it's just a sad day in America when you see what's happening with all this wokeness, yeah. what you've seen this administration do with our military, yep. what they're trying to have into our schools. The American people are waking up and we're fighting back and damn straight, damn straight. We need to be fighting back because it's getting it's getting silly. It's getting crazy. It's getting downright stupid. 
So I'm glad the American people are paying attention to these corporations. Target, shame on you. I won't go in there and I won't buy a stick of gum from you ever. <laughs> and I won't ever drink a Bud Light. I'll pour that down my toilet we are, before I ever have a Bud Light. Yep. We're perhaps enthusiasts here on the yeah. show. So we, we, we try to just keep it real. You know, the thing with all the these corporations doing this stuff, it, it's really yeah. detrimental to them because it's not like somebody having to post on social media that they support president trump or they support this they support that it's like these people that disagree with what these companies are doing all they have to do is just like i just won't go in there and nobody knows about it yep they can do it silently and that's what most of the american public they just want to be left alone they don't want to be overtly political they just want to be left alone i want to be left alone same thing the reason i'm overtly political is because i'm on the show Imagine yeah. that. And maybe on Instagram. But I, I tell you, you it's it's getting crazy out there, though, fellas, when you look at what they're doing with, you know, whether it's the drag queens, whether this other stuff, I think there's child abuse, yeah. mutilations. Yep. I mean, I, I, I'm telling you, folks, what's happened to our country? There's one guy. There's one guy that can save our country and make America great again, again. Mm-hmm. And that's Donald J. Trump. Certainly. God is. bless him and his courage to fight as hard as he is to take the criticism, the ridicule, the investigations that that man has over the past several years, if not decades. He loves this country more than just about anybody I've ever met. God bless him, and he's going to be our 47th. Absolutely, Congressman. And the only way we're going to get there is if we have shows like this continuing to push the narrative of what is honest and truthful and for everybody to see. And we have congresspeople up on Capitol Hill like yourself representing America First Agenda and everything you do. We're going to live link your congressional website in the show description today. For anyone that's not following you on social media, Congressman, we definitely want to direct them to you. Where can we find you at? Just go, number one, go to go to uh, go to the big go to Amazon and buy the book, The Big Fraud. It's out there. You can find me on Twitter. I'm out there. I have no place to hide. I'm authentic. I'm all about the truth, and I don't pull punches. God bless you guys. We're live linking the book in the show description as well today too. And this is the congressman that represents Texas 22. Always love when Congressman Troy Nels joins us on Steak for Breakfast. Congressman, thanks for joining us. Thank you, man. God bless you. After a long back and forth and missed deadlines, FBI Director Christopher Wray will now send a document claiming President Biden was involved in a bribery scheme to Capitol Hill. That comes after Oversight Committee Chair James Comer threatened to hold the FBI in contempt of Congress. Lawmakers from both parties are expected to review the material on Monday. The document supposedly details a $5 million criminal plot involving Biden during his vice presidency and a foreign national. One thing on the subpoena issue. So when the Republicans took over uh, and the majority in January, one of the things they said is if we take over, we will be able to get the Biden administration, at least the cabinet, to be able to comply with congressional oversight. And that's what you're seeing here. Nobody wants to be held in contempt of Congress. So that's why Ray is making this decision. Uh, Chuck Rass, who was with us yesterday, I thought it was a pretty interesting interview. You know, right? I mean, he's seen the document. He wants others to see it in part. Um, just play this clip about the bias that he sees right now in the FBI. We are not out to get the FBI. We're out to change the culture of the FBI at headquarters. There was political bias with the uh, uh, emails of Hillary. We have political bias in the uh, uh, hurricane uh, uh, investigation that went on. We have political bias that's been proven by the Durham report. And uh, the FBI has to straighten out their house. A couple points on this. Some Republicans believe there's evidence in this document that shows that Joe Biden took a bribe, right, while he was vice president. A bribe. None of that has been proven. When we asked Grassley yesterday if something was illegal, 
on that sheet of paper. He did not say yes. No. What he said was, I want the FBI to do its job, which means investigate it. And that's where he stands as of today. Oh. It'd be very interesting if others see it today who have not seen it yet, what their impressions will be. And so maybe we will find the FBI is going to do its job for a change. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I highly doubt that. Guys, oh. We're jumping into the news right now, coming out now with Congressman Troy Nell's fire segment, as always, from the Texas Congressman. And we'll wrap the segment uh, catching up with Congressman George Santos. So Slate of America First, Trump endorsed, voted no on the debt ceiling package. Congressman coming in here during the first segment. Big episode of the show today. Coming out of last week and, and the fallout from the debt ceiling, which we're going to get commentary uh, on from all the congressmen who are coming through, because obviously it's still kind of be in their bonnet right now. Anyone out there on either side of the aisle that's telling you the McCarthy-negotiated deal with Joe Biden on the debt ceiling is the best that we could do is full of shit, period. Full stop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, had a, I didn't tell you guys this. I had a spirited conversation with, a, we'll call him a legal consultant in America first over the weekend on Twitter. Okay. Didn't really appreciate one of my posts. No. Had something to do with snake oil. <laughs> I, I think he said fuck you like eight times throughout the course of our conversation i took the high road uh-huh. lots of sirs listen agree to disagree we, we had two congressmen on the show on friday who said no we had two more uh, we're gonna have three congressmen on the show today obviously we've already heard one who said no it's not the best deal we could have gotten and and here's the deal he decided he, well he said congressmen are retards and congressmen and women are retards <laughs> and they'll, they'll virtue single their no vote even because they just knew it wouldn't be. This is not the best deal for the American people. No. And, at all. And it's going to absolutely crush our families through the next election cycle. Remember, we're not revisiting this until 2025. So hopefully when Donald Trump's back in the White House, he'll deal with it appropriately. And, and we'll have won the upper and lower chamber of Congress. And we'll be moving towards cutting trillions out of our debt, not adding another $5 million to the national debt, which is what this potentially is going to do. That being said... We also touched on late in our show last week, this, this narrative at the FBI is heating up right now where supposedly there's a whistleblower, confidential human source that can confirm that while Joe Biden was vice president and supposedly under the radar of the entire Biden administration because Joe Biden's such a smooth character. So smooth. You guys saw me shit at the Air Force <laughs> thing. No, no, he was gliding. That's what happened. <laughs> he looked like a meteor falling out of the sky. <laughs> it was like... Uh, it's like one of those crash test dummies when they take it out of the car and it just like slumps over. And then he smashed his head on Marine One when he was getting back. Eh, he bumped his head. It's not. It wasn't that crazy. I was expecting it to be much more dramatic. When you're but that still, old, though, yeah, yeah. That's that. You know, I'm surprised he didn't spring a leak and bleed all over himself. <laughs> I mean, I've I've whacked my head on stuff and just bled like a stuck pig. I can only imagine. Pigs for breakfast? Nope. No. Red meat. Oh, thank you. <laughs> So now this whole narrative is heating up on Capitol Hill. You just heard Fox News talking about how Christopher Ray was going to bring over the documents. Apparently he did, and it was heavily redacted. And only certain people on the oversight committee could look at it. I believe the chairs, the ranking members, they, they didn't want to make it for everybody. Long story short, James Comer is fighting for this to be made public. Chuck Grassley is fighting for this to be made public to the American people. So when that comes over there, they said, this is absolutely fucking unacceptable. Take it back and bring the regular one, and then we're going to all look at it. The 1023 right here. Yeah. Ray said no. Deadline passed. So now on Thursday at 9 a.m., we'll, we'll touch on it on our Friday edition of the show. They're going to hold a vote in the House to hold FBI Director Christopher Ray in contempt of Congress. 
So it looks like Christopher Ray, as we hypothesized on the show for quite a while now, is going to play the Eric Holder role and take that path. Probably found in contempt of Congress, and nothing's going to happen to him. He'll keep his job, won't go to jail. Perfect. Yeah. So now they're saying that the life of this confidential human source is in danger. It seems, it's pretty weird to me how the FBI, the CIA, the Department of Justice, the Pentagon, Department of Defense, the Biden regime can't protect this person because it links the president to a bribery scheme. So $5 million exchange in hands back when Joe Biden was vice president during the Obama administration, which led directly to a pushed policy for said country. We don't have all the details yet. Some people have speculated it's Romania, could be Ukraine. We don't know. Um, everything that's out there is speculation. But, yeah, the, the those up on the Hill are not very happy with Christopher Ray. They're not really happy with where this is going. and And it seems like, you know, every time something comes up that's like a new talking point, our America first freshman congressmen and women are are coming to the front to kind of take the head on this. You know, we've seen Corey Mills ask for an extension on the debt ceiling and propose a bill to June 5th, which didn't go anywhere. We've seen other freshman congressmen want to draft articles of impeachment for everybody from Joe Biden down to Alejandro Mayorkas for things related to the border. And, you know, it, it, Anna Paulina Luna the last couple of weeks has really picked up steam in pushing back on this narrative of Director Ray saying that, you know, he just can't keep this source, this whistleblower confidential to the American public because they fear for his life. I mean, I guess they can. But at the same time, if you have something that links the former vice president and current president of the United States to something as big as a five million dollar bribery scheme. What do you think? This is this is pretty wild. I mean, this could lead yeah. to impeachment for for Joe Biden, obviously. Well, you've already seen him circle the wagons and saying that it's bullshit and that right. it's all about poll numbers. It's not really about actually the truth. It, it's just nonsense. If there's yeah. actually substance behind this, then it needs to be addressed 100. percent That's what I mean. You've seen this thing kind of developed. We talked about it on Friday. What are you saying? No, same thing. I mean. It really needs to be looked at. It's not just some false, you know, small allegation. This is a big deal. And I think anybody on both sides would want, you know, is look into. And I mean, the FBI is going to do what the FBI is going to do. They're lying. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've heard a couple good commentative pieces over the weekend, especially the Sunday morning news circuit, who says there's so many people up on Capitol Hill who will go out and say, Oh, man, you know, this institutional rot narrative isn't a real thing. It's just a couple bad apples at the top of the tree. And, you know, the men and women on the ground and a lot of these federal agencies are great patriots who, you know, uphold the Constitution. I heard somebody actually reference and they were showing file footage from the raid at Mar-a-Lago. Those guys were all happy as hell, high-fiving and, and walking around the end of the driveway smiling. Oh, you know, they're taking selfies in Melania's robe. <laughs> put, put, putting on her Kentucky Derby hats. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, it, it's sad. Did you say sniffing their, her underwear? Yeah, probably Ugh. sniffing her too. It's kind of gross. Well, I'm sure they're all clean. Probably got the shoe sniffers too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, those kind of people. Mm. There's a weird percentage of the population that's really into feet. Right. Hey, Amanda Millius told us Wiki Feet is real. Mm-hmm. Antoinette's five out of five, right? Oh, five out of five. So. I forgot about that. Yeah. Use Amanda promo code steak for your membership. <laughs> <laughs> I, t- I told Amanda not too long ago, she posted, uh, she 
she was watching the NBA Finals and she posted a pic of the Kobe Jordans that she was wearing. And I said all of WikiFeats right now, and I had like a gif of like a cameraman. <laughs> <in there. laughs> she shared it. So I guess nobody knows about WikiFeet. For all of our listenership out there, you're welcome. Let's hear the Florida Congresswoman weigh in on, on what the possible dispositions for Joe Biden could be. Well, we're expecting him to deliver. As you heard in the previous segment, the speaker even said that if this uh, FBI director doesn't do his job and doesn't answer to Congress, he's going to be held in contempt. You know, over the last couple of months, House oversight, as well as the staff that helps us run the investigations, has proven that we've actually been able to provide evidence. You know, before there was speculation on uh, the Ponzi scheme for influence peddling and also the personal enrichment of the Biden family. And now what we're finding is that these are no longer longer allegations and we're creating a hard case in my opinion Maria um, what we're seeing right now if this is true which I do believe that it is true in regards to um, Joe Biden receiving briberies and Hunter Biden um, I, I do believe that this is grounds for impeachment and so it's important that we continue to move forward to bring this to the American people but also too that we I think do a house cleaning within our DOJ because as you had stated earlier they are protecting this family the FBI is protecting the Hunter Biden family and it's not okay I don't think it's okay. What do you guys No, think? they shouldn't no. be just protecting just willy-nilly. Like, if if they're guilty, they're guilty. That's what law enforcement is for. It's taking all the facts and basing your decision on whether or not to prosecute on the truth. Right. Not on political fucking bias. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to see Joe Biden impeached because we know what the alternative is. Oh, I thought you were going to say more than us. <laughs> that too. <laughs> but, I mean, if you want the... Uh, I mean, do you want Kakala... To be first in line? Are you talking about the borders are or the AIs are? <laughs> but the fact of the matter is here is that we've seen this double standard for so long. I don't know if you guys have heard, but as early as Thursday, the Jack Smith-led special counsel into the document investigation and raid at Mar-a-Lago might have an indictment ready for President Trump. So, bump in the polls, but more... Hypocrisy and two-tiered justice system coming down the pike fast. And as we've seen the GOP field widen, both figuratively and literally, (laughs) with Chris Christie now in the race, (laughs) what can we say is is that, you know, the people up on Capitol Hill with a slim majority in the House and no majority in the Senate are doing the best they can. Uh, I don't discredit Chuck Grassley's office for dragging this out as long as it's gone because we've definitely unearthed some treasures and, you know, what Jim Comer's doing, you've seen a lot of the pundits in cable news kind of push back on him because this basically affirms a lot of the claims that Donald Trump made during the 2020 presidential election cycle. Oh, yeah. The Biden crime family, you're a criminal, your son's a criminal, your brother's a criminal, you guys have been jobbing the American people for so long. And unlike with the Clintons, where it was already well documented, you, you know, you had uh, Whitewater and all the other bullshit, the Clinton Foundation stuff that they had done over the years. And just how she had lined her pockets at the taxpayers' expenses, the press didn't let Donald Trump do that to Joe Biden. They 100% insulated him. Mm-hmm. And used that insulation to, I'm air quoting now, catapult him to the White House. Mm. Much like the way he took a spill last Thursday in uh, Colorado <laughs> at the Air Force graduation. Can you imagine if he would have like fallen off the stage or something? Oh, you mean like a fall roll? Like into a, into like one of the orchestra pits or something? And then the two uh, oh, padded gosh. padded drumsticks come flying up in the air? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I've wait. Seen... did he, I didn't catch the video, but I saw a screenshot. 
Did he really like? He tripped over a sandbag and, and completely ate shit. shit. He tried to he get up and it. fell back oh, yeah. down. Yeah. He couldn't. He couldn't get oh. up. He, I mean, he's obviously like life alert status. Like I've fallen oh. and I can't get. Like he he could not get up on his own. Oh my and god! And then and then uh, what? Uh, KGP's like uh, he tripped quickly. It was a br- <laughs> it was a brief trip, and then he immediately got up and continued uh, doing what he was uh, there to do. No, he didn't. Oh, he got he got picked up like a rag doll. And oh stood God. up like he was at the firing line. And the reactions of everybody from yeah, well, the cadet who escorted him there and immediately did an about face. Oh, to my gosh. All the people behind him. No, I think she laughing. was next in line for graduation or something. Oof. She's like, cool. nope. Wow, wow. And what could he do? All he, all, all he was able to do was, was pardon everybody's bad behavior and clean all of their <laughs> records as a, don't, don't, don't worry about the fall. You guys aren't in trouble for anything anymore. Kevin McCarthy is really coming out of a bad spot right now. We saw there were reports last week that he's nearing all-time highs for favorability for House speakers on either side of the aisle, around 50%. But the polling was done right up until the day they voted in the House to basically kick, limit, save, grow into the garbage can. So, you know, will his poll numbers reflect especially after you have all these America first congressmen and women going out and saying, this is not the best deal we could have gotten. This is going to hurt the American people in the wallet. And it's going to add potentially up to $5 trillion in the short term to our national debt. That, that's a huge question there. So he has an opportunity to make up some space. You know what else is weird? You guys have seen a, uh, so steak for breakfast was right again. I think we're three for three. So we had, um, Steve Cortez nailed mm-hmm. him, right? Yep. Seth Dillon at the Babylon Bee nailed him too, right? That was back in February. Yep. Well, you guys have seen MTG coming out over the last, since, you know, this thing passed and was like, siding with McCarthy 100%. This is the best deal. We couldn't have done mm-hmm. any better. It's the slimmest margin. But you already passed limit grow safe. Yeah, but, you know, that was, just, we passed it, but but nobody said you guys were going to pass it. Yeah, we know, but, you know, you just got to go with, like, go with what? You already passed it. And yeah, you take that into negotiations and you say, this is our ceiling. Do me one of two things. Get this through the Senate or shut down the government and we'll tell everybody why. Because you want to add $5 trillion to the national debt. And it's not a good deal. It's literally, it leaves us at this, the ridiculous amount of spending that we did during COVID. Which was mm-hmm. just throw money at it till it goes away. Mm-hmm. Did COVID go away? Yes. But, yeah, but, cool. but now we're still throwing the money at it. Yeah. It's away. Just like all the people that are still potentially getting fired from their jobs. Like, that's a, yeah. still a thing. I think the two biggest items, no, you touched on it right there, that we needed to have heading into next year's election cycle for the president, getting back to pre-COVID spending and having this black eye on Joe, Budden, Joe Biden's economy. How about we get back to, like, pre-pre-COVID spending? Mm. Balanced budgets? Nice. Yeah. Blasphemy. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> But sticking in the thread of this, so Kevin McCarthy has an opportunity to save face now. He really can make something happen by pushing this through, supporting James Comer and the Oversight Committee, backing these America First congressmen and women who are going after people like Christopher Ray, who are going after people like Adam Schiff. We're going to hear a vote on to censure him for all the bullshit that he was spouting during the Russiagate investigations, in addition to fining him up to $16 million, which would be glorious. Will he actually pay? Can you just go? Can you just go bankrupt when that happens? <laughs> but he's running for Senate in California. 
I do love how the first polls came out and he was third behind a Republican and an equally shitty Democrat. It was pretty wow. awesome. Yeah. Eric Early, I don't know if he's got staying power, but he was up by 3% on the next candidate, and that was a Democrat. And then I think it was 1916, and then Schiff was at 13%. But Let's find the piss out of him. Let's do it. Speaker of the House did a little bit of the Sunday morning news circuit and was talking about his role and, and what's going to happen to Christopher Ray. Let's hear him deal with Chris Ray at the FBI. Is he going to be held in contempt? He will be held in contempt if he doesn't do what is responsible to do. Remember, in the commitment to America, Republicans said we'd go and make sure we had accountability and transparency. We had a whistleblower come before us and, and say that he'd gone to the FBI about hearing of a $5 million bribe from a foreign individual to then Vice President um, Biden, and then talked about sending money to LLCs and others. We mm. subpoenaed that because, remember, Congress has the constitutional right of the oversight of the FBI. This document is not even classified. What is the first thing that uh, Director Ray said? He didn't even acknowledge whether he had it. He said he wouldn't provide it. I had a phone call with him, explained to him, if he does not provide this, we will hold him in contempt. Now he said, yes, we do have the document, but he'll only show it to the chairman and ranking member. Mm. That is not how the Constitution works. Everybody on the Committee of Oversight, Republican and Democrats, have a right to see this unclassified document. If he doesn't come forth and allow everyone to see it, we will move contempt charges against him on Thursday. Secretary Blinken had the same problem when he would not give the documents about what happened in Afghanistan. He now realizes, yes, he should supply it to everybody on the committee. Congress has the constitutional right to oversee and to hold this government accountable. We are loaned the voice of the people and we have a right to see it and look. The FBI now says there's an ongoing investigation. I wonder why there was an investigation before. They also said they need to protect the individual. We understand that. I see documents that way all the time. Redact whatever you need to protect the individual, but show us the document and everybody on oversight. So well, you tell them to redact something, they're going to make it be yeah. a black piece of paper with <laughs> thes and ands. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty silly, to be honest with you. And it's basically just an admission of guilt. It's like, we don't 100%. want to show you this because it's our fucking colossal fuck up. Like Afghanistan, for instance. Mm. It's interesting to use that as a reference. That's our favorite colossal yeah. fuck up here. Steak for breakfast. <laughs> Doesn't Kevin McCarthy sound like he could narrate some audiobooks? Yeah. Yeah, he does. When he speaks, I was like, oh, his voice is actually pretty decent. I mean, he's no James Earl Jones, but. Mm. No. Every week. That guy's been. Like Kevin McCarthy reading the Bible. That's what I was going to say. the same ring to oh, it. Lord. There are very few people who, who could narrate, like, Star Wars audiobooks and the Bible. Yeah. And James Earl Jones is it. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't think uh, McCarthy would make a good Darth Vader. Mm. So, MTG's sometimes boyfriend mm. is planning on holding. Christopher Ray in contempt. So there are a bunch of stuff outside of this investigation and the failure on the debt ceiling that's going on because everything's fine when it comes to the federal government. Don't worry about it. Everything's fine. <laughs> I feel so much better. Everything's fine. So U.S. and Chinese counterparts at the highest level had an emergency powwow this weekend. And China was pretty candid in saying war between our two countries won't be beneficial for the rest of the world you think so stop fucking around and then in the taiwan strait over the course of the weekend they started playing chicken yeah chinese destroyer buzz one of ours 
<laughs> it's pretty epic. And they were like talking shit on comms too while they were doing it too. It literally like was the uh, <laughs> Whale Wars episode of South Park. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, this meeting with the Chinese counterparts, it's the first time that they've talked in a minute and apparently it wasn't that good. Tony Blinken felt so compelled to celebrate this now communication they're having with our Chinese counterparts. He attended the Henry Kissinger 100th birthday extravaganza. We we all know how his foreign policy benefited the world. I don't know if you saw MBS decided to cut Saudi oil output by 40%. Oh, that'll be good. Yeah. They got a picture in time for summer. Him sitting with his arms folded, smiling on the uh, unusual whales post about it. So get ready for gas prices to go up at least a buck nationwide in the next month or two. It's such an epic fail. Everything that's happening to this country. Like how do how do you how do you really sit there and think that everything's okay and and literally with without your conscience telling you that you're a fucking idiot saying mm-hmm. I'm going to vote for Biden again. DHS announced on Friday, jeez. That now just this fiscal year we're only halfway through. We're in we're in May. Or I'm sorry, we're in June. June. Month six of 12. Over 100 foreign terrorists have been apprehended trying to enter the United States illegally. How many gotaways we got? Yeah. Close to 2 million total. I wonder how many terrorists made it in that one. Why you whispering? Yeah. I don't know. It just seems somewhat scary. <laughs> that 100 uh, foreign terrorists apprehended this year now exceeds the total amount of people on the watch list that came in or tried to come in during the Trump administration. Wow. Perfect. Lovely. Not really tied to this, but always tied to it. I don't know if you guys saw this was a good one. On Friday, New York Mayor Eric Adams. <laughs> <laughs> that guy. Um, he that a- guy's almost like a, a caricature of himself now. He held a I press know. conference and, and talked about the illegal crisis that they're currently having <laughs> yeah. in New York City. And he mm. said, uh, there's a lot of people in this city who live on on, on government assistance, you, federal assistance, state assistance. Now, and, they, and now there's not enough for everybody? No, they said they probably have extra rooms. So he's going to be hitting them up first in an attempt to house illegal migrants with U.S. citizens in people who get. Wait, wait, house them where? In state in and people's fe- houses. Yes. Fucking serious? Yes. In people's little like broom closet apartments in New York. Mm-hmm. How are they going to do that? Is they're going to pay them. Yeah, they're going to tax dollars at work. They're going to say either we're we're not going to give you as much federal assistance, or we're going to give you more to have oh, this family are on assistance. Yeah. so they're going to kind of force it on them. Yeah, so this isn't going to lead to like I don't know human slavery. Mm-hmm. I'm going to kick you out unless you fucking do what I tell you. Yeah, you live in a or a lot of uh, you know violence and rape and all this other shit. Ugh. These people that are on on assistance in New York State who live in a 350 square foot. Oh my God. Broom closet are now going to be housed in a Nicaraguan family of nine. Oh my God. Just to be able to stay on assistance from the state and federal government. Fucking well, fantastic. You and you deserve it. Yeah. That's and, all I can say. And it's not just them. They're going to be hitting those people up first as like kind of an yeah. incentive laden. You, you, yeah. you like Snap and Wick? You want more? Oh, there's actually a, a, a French fry aspect to this deal. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> and I a love, burger. Boy, I love cheeseburgers. <laughs> Everybody's gonna get the same like uh, COVID uh, bonuses for for housing migrants. Oh, you get a you get a free T shirt and a, a strawberry shake. 
So lots of stuff going on, but everything's fine. And in our last clip before we jump on with Congressman Santos, we did see House Oversight Chairman James Comer come out of that closed-door meeting with McCarthy and Christopher Wray, and I guess the ranking members on the Democrat side, that would be Jamie Raskin. And and Comer wasn't happy. Let's hear it. As James Comer is now speaking at the Capitol, let's listen. FBI officials confirmed that the unclassified FBI-generated record has not been disproven and is currently being used in an ongoing investigation. The confidential human source who provided information about then-Vice President Biden being involved in a criminal bribery scheme is a trusted, highly credible informant who has been used by the FBI for over 10 years and has been paid over six figures. These are facts and no amount of spin and, frankly, lies from the White House or congressional Democrats can change this information. At the briefing, the FBI again refused to hand over the unclassified record to the custody of the House Oversight Committee, and we will now initiate contempt of Congress hearings this Thursday. Given the severity and complexity of the allegations contained within this record, Congress must investigate further. Americans have lost trust in the FBI's ability to enforce the law impartially and demand answers, transparency, and accountability. The investigation is not dead. This is only the beginning. It appears this investigation is part of an ongoing investigation, which I assume is in Delaware. You can tell him to stop looking for The clips. Oversight Committee will follow the, <laughs> fa- follow the facts and be transparent to the American people. So there you have it. We really can't foretell where this is going. We've seen it before with Eric Holder. We know he went away scot-free. He still does some things for the Biden regime now. Uh, he wrote books, did speaking events. He was critical, running a lot of interference behind closed doors during the 2020 presidential election. And, you know, since the Trump administration, the Congress has just had it with Christopher Ray. He's ran his department. And so it's like he took over knowing it was a shit show. And mm-hmm. instead of even like coming in to do anything to bring any kind of credibility back to the agency, it's like he ripped open his fucking suit and there was a Hawaiian shirt underneath it. And he's like, <laughs> where's my drink with the umbrella in it? <laughs> Literally. Mm-hmm. So as we rest on this for now, and we'll be covering the contempt aspect of this on our Friday edition of the show, we're getting ready to jump in with New York Congressman George Santos. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code stake here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash stake for anything sleep-related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash stake, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. 
All right, joining us next on the show today, he's the congressman representing New York's 3rd District. Always happy to have back Mr. George Santos. Congressman, welcome to the show. Hey, Ron, how are you? Thank you for having me back. We're doing pretty good on this end. It's been a busy time up on Capitol Hill for y'all. It's, it can't seem like we can go a few minutes without some new crisis or investigation. You name it, it's going on. But what we wanted to touch on first with you is the uh, fallout from the debt ceiling bill. We knew you were an America First no on the vote last week and uh, were very thorough on why you thought this was a bad bill for the American people. A lot of the America First counterparts that you serve with in Congress felt exactly the same way. Some of them appeared on our show last Friday. Some of them will be on the show today. But just from your vantage point, Congressman, how could this be a no for you? And what do we look like moving forward as far as uh, heading into appropriation season? Because, you know, with the Office of uh, Budget and Management able to kind of add back any cuts that House Republicans could potentially make uh, in appropriations process, it's looking bleak as far as as cutting into this national debt right now, wasteful spending. Well, let's let's start off with this, Ron. So we all ran on the guises of we're going to stop reckless spending in Washington, D.C. We're going to put a stop to Joe Biden's agenda. We just gave Joe Biden a blank check until January of 2025. And anybody saying that this is a $4 trillion debt limit increase, I don't believe it. It can be six. There's no, there's no, there's no cap, right? So there's no number on the bill, which essentially is you give a president running for reelection with historic uh, low uh, approval ratings, a blank check so he can put whatever he wants forward. And the excuse that we gave the American people was the appropriations process, which I don't believe we're going to be able to win that war either. Right. So the way I look at it is I came in and I said, I'd never vote for a clean debt ceiling raise. And this was a clean debt ceiling raise. I don't care how you spin it, how you word it. This isn't an attack on leadership. This is an attack on the speaker. This is a fact, you know, I think they did the best they could. And I don't think that the best was, you know, the best they could wasn't good enough for me. I ran in New York third district saying that I would fight to, I would fight for my people to combat the affordability crisis we have in my district. And this bill did not do that. This bill did not protect generations of new, uh, of, of young NY three residents from being able to afford to live in NY three. So this bill did not work for me. Uh, as far as CBO goes, CBO is, is going to have a hard time uh, struggling to, to put forward any kind of uh, scores on, on this, on the, on this new debt ceiling increase. And I'll put, I'll give you a little bit more um, on the appropriations process. Everybody's trying to say we did major uh, massive clawbacks, but we did not take that money and take it back to the treasury to pay down the debt. So the money is still out there. Now it's just going to be reappropriated elsewhere. So that's not even really a clawback. And quite frankly, Historically speaking, we've really never really clawed back any money. So the bar was very low. So with, had you done $1 billion, it would have been historic. Right. So the, the, whole, the whole nonsense, the whole nuance of this thing is that the American people are going to suffer more inflationary uh, effects from this deal. And I can sleep at night knowing that I had nothing to do with it and that when I was given a chance, I fought and stood up for something. And that's how I, I find peace with this vote. Yeah, and what you stood up for was Limit Save Grow, which was a great bill. It kind of backed Joe Biden into a corner. And I think one of the biggest takeaways from this, besides not returning to pre-COVID spending, which is a huge component of what America First runs on, there's no reason to be spending all these trillions of dollars in, in just absolute waste for things that we're not taking into consideration as being a major factor in, in the United States anymore. In addition to that, 
what it does is, you know, essentially kick the can down to 2025 and takes holding Joe Biden accountable for not only all this wasteful spending, but any kind of reckless budgets that, that are going to be coming through as far as fiscal year 24 goes. And, and that's the 2024 presidential election cycle. When we look at something that and the potential Republican nominee would have been able to hammer him on on the stage now, Joe Biden's going to be able to counter with, well, it's just another legislative win for me. Do you think taking that out of the kind of the debate solar system right now is a bad move for for you know anybody who's running in the race right now to be able to use against joe biden of course it is like i said uh, this is this was a huge political win for joe biden he has a blank check and he gets to say that he worked bipartisan through divided through divided government and he got a massive win for the american people not only to mention let's let's talk about let's talk about this bill Seventy thousand people per month on average will be added to snap benefits because we've ex- expanded the qualifications by putting those work requirements in. The, that's why I was strongly against 20 hours and I wanted 30. But, you know, uh, nonetheless, nobody nobody understood what I was trying to explain when I was explaining it. I said, if you put 20, you're going to take people who work 20 hours a week and now they're going to qualify for SNAP. That's why 30 was the number. You needed to keep a check and balance on this and we missed it. On top of that, you said something that I've, I've been echoing alongside some of my colleagues. If we went back to 2019 budget, we would have a 24% surplus with 2022 revenues if we base it off of those two parallels. What that means is we'd go back to normal spending pre-COVID and take all the COVID fluff out of it, and we'd have a 24% surplus if we would adjust it for Medicare and Social Security and inflation, let's just say half of that 24 So. 12%, right? We still end up with a 12% surplus that we could pay down the debt to the tune of anywhere from a quarter to three quarters of a trillion dollars. So that's anywhere from $250 billion to $750 billion that we would pay down. We would, for the first time in history, go in the right direction. Instead of going up, we were going to go down. But unfortunately, people in D.C. are so drunk on spending yeah. that they cannot fathom the thought of not spending more. Yeah, you said it pretty well when you mentioned that uh, this isn't the best bill that we have, but it's the best bill that we're going to settle for. And that's kind of where we're at right now. Congressman, I want to switch gears and, and talk about something that I know is really important to you. You spoke recently at the new federal state of China's third anniversary ceremony. In addition to that, recently you put out and are proposing uh, a bill to hold the CCP accountable for manipulating currency. Pushing back on China and the CCP is one of the biggest components of America First. It's what uh, an overwhelming majority of our Congress should be focusing on, just not only because of the stuff that's going on, like over the weekend in the Taiwan Strait, but the overall consequences that could happen if if stuff pops off with China, which you know we could tell after hearing reports of high-level meetings between the United States and China recently. Things are not looking good diplomatically between our two countries. Why the big pushback? Why is it so important for America First? And what are you going to continue to do to push back on the CCP from just basically meddling in everything here in the United States? Well, look, out of the 118th Congress, I think I am the one with the most comprehensive anti-CCP package in legislative bills, right? I'm putting on a series of bills that would literally cut corners to, to in quadrant the Chinese Communist Party out of air. Like, we, we need to corner them and suffocate them out of power. And that is by uh, holding them accountable for, for currency manipulation, holding them accountable for the COVID-19 uh, virus, holding them accountable on the amount of farmland that they own and manipulate the market here in produce in the United States. It's 
literally getting them, relinquishing their ownership of private land in the United States and so, and so many other ways that we can do this. I have so many other things that are going to be coming out. Look, I came in here. I'm well known in the district and I'm well known for being a very anti-Ayatollah Iran. But now I want to be known as the very anti-CCP Ayatollah because it's the CCP funding the Ayatollah in the arms deal race. Correct. And I'm pretty sure if we investigate, we're going to find that there's a lot of Chinese Communist Party money funding nuclear programs in Iran to weaponize Iran against the United States. Look, a lot of people like to say that the proxy war in Ukraine is a U.S.-Russia proxy war. I beg differ. It is a Chinese Communist Party U.S. proxy war. China's using Russia and the U.S. is using Ukraine. That's what's really happening. And Americans need to turn a blind eye and see that both Russia and Ukraine are being manipulated by two superpowers, which is China and the United States, fighting each other in a proxy war in Eastern Europe and costing millions of lives and heartache and dollars and economic losses all across the globe. But nobody wants to talk about that. And when people like me talk about it, we're stapled crazy conspiracy theorists and absolutely unhinged. Yeah, I think uh, you nailed it. Right there when you said this is a proxy war with the CCP in Ukraine, they're playing both sides of the fence. They have been for a long time. At the same time that they're arming uh, the Russian military, they're they're telling Ukraine, don't worry what gets blown up. We will fix everything at a very low interest rate once this war is over. And at the same time, they're, they're all in country being able to, uh, you know, see what's going on in regards to U.S. contractors and uh, U.S. soldiers who are assigned to NATO and things of that nature. I think it's a huge uh, issue that we don't fight enough, but there are some great congressmen like yourself, Representative Santos, fighting for it up on the Hill. This has been great catching up with you today. We're going to live link your congressional website in the show description. For anyone that's not following you on social media, where can we check you out? Rep Santos, uh, Rep, Rep George Santos on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and feel free to interact with us, and uh, let's, get, let's get this going on. And look, I thank you guys for always giving me a platform to discuss the policies, and I also want to thank everybody who's supporting us out there. Let's keep the fight. This is a this is a battle for our country, for our sovereignty, and we cannot let go or give up. Yeah, we've seen so many different kinds of dispositions come out of Congress people over the last two weeks regarding this uh, debt ceiling that got passed and how consequential it's going to be for the American family moving forward. You have to back the Congress people up there, like Representative Santos, who are willing to fight for you. Again, this is the Congressman representing New York 3. Always great to have Representative George Santos on the show. Congressman, thanks for coming down today. Thank you, Rod. said that what you're really concerned about is this Sino-Russia uh, partnership. Yes. And you need to drive a wedge through it. You said yesterday that one of the ways you would try to drive a wedge through it is to make some concessions to Putin on Ukraine. You brought up Neville Chamberlain. He tried to do that with Hitler didn't work out very well. Why would it work out any better with Putin? Well, this is the equivalent of if we could go back and actually disrupt the German-Japan alliance. Boy, would we have wanted to do that at a time we could. So the way I look at this, John, is it's a reverse maneuver of what Nixon did with Mao. Mao was not some hero that we aspire to, some paragon of democracy. I don't trust Putin any more than Nixon trusted Mao, except this time Putin is the new Mao. Disrupt that alliance, move from a bilateral international order right now that favors China to a trilateral international order where there's no allies between the two ma three major nuclear but, superpowers. But you talk about making concessions uh, with Russia on yes. Ukraine and maybe letting Putin have Donbass. What makes you think he would stop there? 
Well, because, I, because almost every military analyst that we have talked to on this program says, you give him Donbass, you give him time, he regroups, he rearms, and then he goes after the rest of the country. So carrot and a stick. I think the number one thing they need to do is exit the treaty that they have with China, dating back to 2001. No more joint military exercises or otherwise. And if he reneges, then we go back on the things that we said we would agree to give him, which is what we're saying is no Ukraine admission to NATO. Freeze the current lines of control. That's a Korean War style armistice agreement. But if Putin reneges on that, now we're talking about a maximum pressure campaign in terms of economic sanctions. Now we're talking about immediate admission of Ukraine to NATO. And that'll be worse off for him. And Putin has no incentive because right now he doesn't like being Xi Jinping's little brother in that relationship. So if we're actually reopening economic relations with Russia, if we're actually committing that Ukraine's never going to become part of NATO and freeze those lines of control, yes, those are major concessions, but it's in service of a bigger U.S. interest, and that is disrupting that partnership between Russia and China. All right, let's play a little GOP primary roundup. So that was Vivek Ramaswamy uh, on Fox News Sunday, and he was talking about what his foreign-ish policy might look like in regards to the conflict in Ukraine. Man, who's doing the sound in that clip? Stretch Armstrong was like, ooh, yeah. back and forth. Yeah, I think the uh, mic guy kept... <laughs> he's, like, is it, the he's like, is it this one? Nope, not that one. Okay, is it this one? Oh, nope, okay. You know, now that we mentioned Brett Baer that we just heard him, uh, it, it's just coming across the wire now. You guys aren't going to believe this one. Mm. So on June 19th, we all know how much Brett Baer is celebrated in America first for calling Arizona in the 2020 presidential election about an hour and a half before the polls closed. Seems legit. He'll be sitting down for a one-on-one exclusive interview with none other than Donald Trump. Mm. Interesting. Weird. Right. Wonder if that's going to get off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> But listen, now that the field is widened a little bit more, I know we joked about it with Mike Pence filing his presidential paperwork over the weekend, which nobody gave a shit about. What? Why bother? I know. I don't understand. Like, no one, literally no one cares, and probably even less people that actually care like you. The real narrative going around right now, honestly, from a couple people that I've talked to, you know, we talked to a pretty large amount of well-off consultants, especially on the America First side here, consultants are telling these candidates that, like, Donald Trump is going to get so drugged down by... That they'll actually have a chance? Yeah, that, number one, it might literally hurt him. Like, he's going to be so embroiled in legal battles that you're just going to waltz your way to the presidency. Well, you'll you'll hear from former disgraced FBI director Jim Comey in a little bit. And uh, he said Donald Trump might be taking... Or accepting the GOP nomination with a with a piece of jewelry that you wouldn't normally think would be affixed to former presidents. But I do like some of the stuff that Vivek said there over the weekend, you know, especially in conceding Donbass, ending the killing. That's essentially what that means. And then breaking out of this pact with Ukraine and the CCP, Russia, just clean everything up because we all know China is going to go in there and do whatever they want afterwards, but we need, we need a, a level playing field here. However, in the same interview, not too much later, he did talk about giving the trans movement a, a platform, <sighs> right? So, so now I know where 0.06 of Vivek Ramaswamy's 3% nationally polling <laughs> numbers come from. It's from the trans community. Right. Giving the, the trans community some platform heels. Boy, yeah. 
There you go. <laughs> How dare you? Have, now they have the whole package. It's ma'am. Oop. So where we might have gotten a little bit of an America first taste of what Ukraine policy. That's not ending the war in 24 hours, by the way. I just want to make that abundantly clear to everybody. Nikki Haley did a little bit of a CNN-ish town hall. I don't know if you guys saw any of that. It was interesting, to say the least. I do think she brings absolutely nothing to the table, to be honest with you. And, you know, when you talk about these candidates, so these consultants are telling them at some point in the future, if Donald Trump is either knocked down or knocked out due to legal stuff, we we already are hearing that there's an indictment probably coming down from the Jack Smith-led special counsel in the Mar-a-Lago raid. They're looking at nothing to do with the documents, which they spread out nicely and took pictures of. They're, they're not doing anything about that. The investigation they abandoned on former Vice President Mike Pence, who had classified documents, they're not doing anything about Joe Biden, who had documents from... Underneath his Corvette. In his yeah. Delaware home, spread out all over the counters in a former Chinese fast food restaurant in downtown D.C. Nothing about any of those people. But Donald Trump will be probably indicted for obstruction of justice regarding this case. How? I don't know. (laughs) I don't get it anymore. So the fact that there was nothing wrong and Joe Biden did something equally, if not worse, you know, but but it's going to be an obstruction of justice for him. One thing that I can remember is Donald Trump did this interview uh, shortly after this came up and he was talking about how. Like, why, why is this such a big deal? It's my right. If I want to declassify stuff and take it with me, I can do that as a president. They have the Presidential Records Act. We worked with NARA. The, the chain of communication between NARA and the FBI and, and Trump, it was literally all seemed pretty normal right up until a week before the raid when the FBI asked him to do a couple things. And Yeah, they asked him to put more security on the place where he was storing the documents, which they complied and did. And then it just, the, the chain of communication goes dead for a week, and next it, thing you know, it's raid. Is that because they wanted to have a door to kick open? What do you think, Antoinette? <laughs> well, that too, but I don't know. I mean, I just I just think it was all bullshit, obviously, from the beginning. They all knew the truth. They just they wanted to create a spectacle, and it ended up biting them in the ass because they knew, I think they knew it was coming for, for Biden, so they wanted to, you know, drown it all out. Or make it not look so bad by, you know, having it done to Trump when he was actually president and was able to have these documents and declassify. Meanwhile, Biden, you know, no, no, no authority to declassify anything and actually not even supposed to have some of the stuff that he had. And it's like in four different locations. He's he's got him all just laying around in his garage. Like I wouldn't even leave like a a firearm loose in my garage. Like it would be locked up in a safe. And this is like governmental paperwork like classified material get a locking file cabinet like one of those little fire safes or something come on anything put it in the trunk of the corvette hey listen yeah exactly listen listen, i would feel better about it being the trunk of the corvette at least listen here jack corvette go vroom (laughs) (laughs) uh somebody should make the the little meme for like you know that part in gone in 60 seconds where they have like the cocaine or the heroin on the floor and they're revving the engine yeah <laughs> it's blowing away all the classified documents too bad there's not <laughs> any audio to that or we'd have our clip of the day yep but it's not just joe biden and mike pence it was barack obama it was bill clinton it was everyone you know dating all the way back to when nara really became prominent the presidential record acts it was following the nixon administration 
So we're seeing a, a, a new bar set in the levels of hypocrisy, but staying in the thread here of the current field, aside from Donald Trump, we'll hear a little bit about him later. I talked about the CNN town hall, uh, Jake Tapper, Nikki Haley talking Ukraine. You can only imagine mm. neocon power. Let's hear it. This is bigger than Ukraine. This is a war about freedom mm. and it's one we have to win. You look at those Ukrainians and what they do when Russia invaded their freedoms. They moved in there, went to the front lines and fought for their country. The women said, we're not going to stay back. They made Molotov cocktails to defend their country. Everybody gave them five days to survive. But yet their passion and their will pushed them forward. What we have to understand is a win for Ukraine is a win for all of us because tyrants tell us exactly what they're going to do. What we heard, China said they were going to take Hong Kong. They did it. Russia said they were going to invade Ukraine. We watched that happen. China says Taiwan's next. We better believe them. Russia said Poland and the Baltics are next. If that happens, we're looking at a world war. There it is. This is about preventing war. And so the way you prevent war is not that we give cash to Ukraine, not that we put troops on the ground, but that we get with our allies and we make sure that we give them the equipment and the ammunition to win. Because when Ukraine wins... That sends a message to China with Taiwan. It sends a message to Iran that wants to build a bomb. It sends a message to North Korea testing ballistic missiles. And it sends a message to Russia that it's over. That's what we have to do. And keep in mind, everybody wants to know, well, how does this war end? It would end in a day if Russia would pull out. If Ukraine pulls out, then we're all looking at a world war. So this is a real issue that distinguishes you from some of your opponents. Um, Former President Trump has refused to say whether he believes Russia should win the war or if Putin is a war criminal. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis referred to Russia's invasion of Ukraine as a, quote, territorial dispute. Um, What do you think of that? I think that that's a mistake that too many have made. That's exactly what got the Europeans in this position with Russia in the first place, is that they're too trustful. You can't be trustful of a regime that goes in and tries to take away people's freedoms. What we need to understand is that Ukraine has the ability to win, but we have to think bigger than that. And for them to sit there and say that this is a territorial dispute, that's just not the case. To say that we should stay neutral, it is in the best interest of America. It's in the best interest of our national security for Ukraine to win. We have. Oof. So wow. where where are they getting this information that Russia yeah. is saying that they're going to go for the Baltics and Poland next? I, I, don't, I don't even. So get there it. was there was a interview with an exiled Russian oligarch, Mikhail Khodorkovsky with an interview on CNN that the next step for Russian president Vladimir Putin's war in Ukraine would be to do that. But are they getting anything from actual legitimate heads of state that are saying that this is the next plan? Or are they just making a generalization? Like this is probably what they would do next in a perfect world. Hmm. In a perfect world. Listen, there aren't enough bodies left in Ukraine to beat any kind of a Russian anything anymore. And they don't really mention how many people have fled Ukraine too, do they? No. It's always like, oh, no, everybody's there making Molotov cocktails. Yeah, right. People that were of Russia ethnic origin who were in these regions that Russia basically moved into. They're high-fiving them on the way in. They're not throwing Molotov cocktails at the Russians. Yeah, they're like, hey, fucking finally. The people who were committing war crimes against these people for the last half dozen years. Yeah. Those are the people that were probably throwing Molotov cocktails. They were literally infighting with their own citizens. And when you go on... 
Telegram, when you go to a couple spicy Twitter accounts, when you get over and see people share TikTok videos of what's going on with the Ukrainian troops right now, you, you basically got two demographics of what the front line looks like. They're all driving some of our finest military equipment and firing off and using. That's first of all. But you have like a group of like really young soldier type guys who are doing TikTok dances, twerking on the back of tanks. Yep. Or, or you have the guys who have Nazi lapel pins, literally committing war crimes and just mowing down buildings and firing mortars and throwing in grenades into just as they're driving along. That Those are pretty much the only two things you got going on. One kind of draws a little bit more attention to itself in reality, and those are the ones you probably see getting smeared along the countryside. Oh, you forgot about the rooftop pool parties in Kiev, though. Yeah, and the McDonald's and the airports and all yeah. that stuff. Well, they're worried about air defenses in Kiev now. It's so weird. They have Patriot batteries. They have long-range missiles now and planes to back them up, but airspace is of a concern. To and bottle service. Mm, always top shelf. Guys, I want to <laughs> remind everyone that's listening to the show today, uh, wherever you're listening, Apple, Spotify, Google, iHeart, make sure you're subscribed to the show. We've got a couple great reviews over the last week. Stars are always going up. And social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, Instagram, find the Steak for Breakfast podcast, follow the account, hit the notification bell. You won't be sorry. And our new home, thenationalpulse.com. That's thenationalpulse.com. You can get bonus content like extra episodes of our show, Red Meat, on Sundays, Fleckus Podcast, Bonus Land, and then expert commentaries from people like our editor-in-chief, Raheem Kassam, on articles and editorials that they're putting out throughout the course of the week, which are always awesome. There's been two directly related to our show, one on Ron Paul, one on Devin Nunez, just in the last week, and we can only expect more coming down the pike. Kellyanne Conway, former Trump surrogate, who always does, well, she's starting to do a good job again of representing the job that Donald Trump did throughout the course of his first term. She kind of walked away for a little bit. She kind of was brought on as like a counter argument to Karl Rove, which is just like two retards bickering with each other. Um, she's been making the rounds again on Fox news, but, and she's been sticking up for the president a lot more now. I, I think it's because of poll numbers and the fact that she's gotten a divorce over the course of the last year. And oh, did she get divorced? Yeah. From that. Thank God. What the heck? That he thing that she was so married to. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What a monster. Mm. It's good to see her out there actually talking about a lot of the achievements that Donald Trump had accomplished in his first term and what prospective second terms look like. Let's hear her on Fox News kind of talk about the differences between what we've seen and, and heard so far and what the rest of the field looks like moving forward. I mean, what's this guy going to do? I don't get it. You're not wrong. And the theory of the case for Ron DeSantis running for president mm. is being blown up by these polls against Trump in three ways. Mm. Number one is electability. I'm the only guy who can win, and I'm the only guy who can beat Biden. That's just not true. He's not winning. And sure, he's, Biden, he's beating Biden here or there, but so is Trump. Secondly, he feels like he has an advantage on COVID. He's out there talking about Dr. Fauci and COVID and lockdowns. I can't find very many Republican presidential primary voters in 2024 who want to talk about COVID. Right. I know what he's trying to say. He's wrong that he didn't shut down the state. He did shut down the state. Yes. His better argument, Larry, is the truthful one, which is I opened up Florida faster mm. than other states. But they had a bad second wave. And because of Florida's weather, COVID was a little bit delayed there. On the third theory of the case that was supposed to bolster Ron DeSantis is that he's the guy who 
uh, he's the guy, he's generational change. People don't seem to want that right now. They don't want Biden there. Mm. But I think the whole generational change looks like inexperience. It looks like what is your national platform, national security, foreign policy. You're right. He's been a good governor of Florida. He's got a lot to bring to the table. But he wasted the last six months or so. I don't see yet that he's going to be able to overtake Trump in these polls. Here's the conundrum for Ron DeSantis and everyone else, but him in second place. On the one hand, you have to attack Trump to beat Trump. On the other hand, you have to attract Trump's voters <laughs> to uh, win. Right. And how do you do that? If anything, I think the diehard Trump voters, of which there are millions and millions in the Republican primaries, they are going to, they're punishing DeSantis. For That's a big narrative that we're starting to hear a lot more of. Yeah. A poll came out over the weekend that showed Ron DeSantis had dropped off 19% favorability in his own state <laughs> since winning the biggest election in the history of, of Florida governorships because his constituents feel betrayed. I feel yeah. like that term hometown hero mm. should probably apply. And if you're not the hometown hero, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great analogy. That one will go down in the... Annals of history. Oh. Mm. Donald Trump was out on the campaign trail this weekend at the Roast and Ride. That sounds like my kind of place. You know, it was very cringy. Oh. It's a roast, and you sit on a motorcycle and take pictures. So, Oh, I thought it was like a restaurant. We're, we're going to get Roast and Ride sounds awesome. Like yeah, that, should be a fucking, does, that should be a chain. It could be a podcast. <laughs> Don't give Raheem any ideas. Let's hear... The 45th president of the United States. Watch where I'm going with this. Talk about his extremely successful border policies at the Rosen Ride this weekend. I've heard as a Republican talk about this southern border for years and years and years. I will finally be the president to bring this issue to a conclusion. We will shut the border down. We will build a border wall. We will end mass migration into this country. And we will hold the Mexican drug cartels accountable for the carnage they have unleashed on the American people. Oh, my bad. That was current Florida governor Ron DeSantis. Literally, That's just plagiarism at this point. Where have we heard that before? Man, they were so pissed. If you posted that post with that quote, you got some hateful replies over the weekend. Really? Yes. Mm. Why? Oh, wait till we finally get the man in the White House who gets it done. Shut the fuck up. You think that, hypothetically speaking, if DeSantis did make it in, do you think they would throw any fucking less roadblocks at that guy? That would be worse. He would just be the new the new guy to hate. He has so much more long game political capital. They would literally ruin. It. I mean, you would see sex scandal, cheating well, on his what, uh, cheating on his taxes, uh, corruption within his office in Florida. You name it, well, he and would have done it. He's totally beholden to the donors too. So the donors can be like, well, we don't really want you to do that. So you can say all you want, but when we get there, no, nah, you're not going to do that. Well, kind of like they didn't say that to Donald Trump, but that was what no, he but ran that into was, when he yeah, got there. But they were just throwing every roadblock possible. They weren't they weren't telling him he couldn't do it. They were just making it so it was impossible for him to complete a lot of the tasks he was trying. Yeah. Every single person inside the administrative state, especially the ones that work in like the permits offices, the Department of Homeland Security, anything that would do anything with border walls. When people say stuff like that, it's the Goodfellas gif of them all laughing in the restaurant. Yeah. Like, that's literally, you need to fire these people to be able to get stuff done, period. You're going to need to fill this out in triplicate <sighs> times a thousand. Yeah. It was weird, too, because at the Roast and Ride, 
Ron DeSantis, I'm going to show Noah to give him a receipt. I'm, I'm pretty sure you saw the clip, but he wore a nice, that's purple. Is that? That's like. I thought that was Hillary Clinton's weird little yeah. Dr. Evil outfit for a second. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. <laughs> Antoinette, you're, you're more of a fashionista than Noah and myself. What, what would you call that? Lavender? What is that? It's like a royal purple, I think. Was it a light? I didn't, I'm not sure. And like, like I think the, Morris, for example, hmm. but that's like a royal purple and that's what I like a lot of elite and royalty wear. Okay. I like it. Yeah. So royal purple Oxford shirt and Casey DeSantis wore the leather jacket and sat on the motorcycle. I think as close to, as close to that color as I would ever get would be like a, a muted gray. Hmm. <laughs> I like it. Maybe in a nice like Western cut. I mean, I, I would I would rock one of those ties as a neutral color, but yeah, I, you couldn't catch me in one of those shirts. I'd look like fucking Grimace from McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> I have to look at it. Ugh, so weird. I'll get you a blindfold. Yeah. So Ron DeSantis's <laughs> poll numbers aren't going too great, and uh, there was a lot of it's political suicide. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, we already knew that that was going to be the case, but here's the thing: if he doesn't, if he doesn't pull this off, which he won't. He's already just alienated his voters in Florida because they're like, what? You were just going to fucking bail and leave us? Like, I think, fuck you. I'm thinking somewhere. We in- just voted you in. You were just going to fucking take off? Mm-hmm. Asshole. Asshole. Well, you know I think that there there could be some sort of spin or twist in the end because I was thinking about it. It would be really hilarious and you know, in the end, if Trump actually picked him to be his VP. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I just don't see it happening. I mean, it, it, would, it, would, be, either, it would be the... The hateful, the biggest troll ever. The, the hateful ever. venom yeah. that his team is doing online right now. I mean, we're not even going to get into the community notes thing. The Babylon B was a little bit like outside of our orbit, and we kind of brung it in here because Raheem and and Gavin Wax, you know, they were all directly connected to that over the course of the last couple of shows and our, our red meat show that we did last Sunday with with Gavin, which was awesome. Kind of laid it all out there. I mean, I've always liked the Babylon B. They're hilarious. Stop it, you yeah. fucking boomer. <laughs> but anyways, you know, this is just. Really, really not looking good for him. Just the numbers when you they, they had like national security, border security, fixing the economy, and it's like Trump anywhere between fifty and seventy, Ron DeSantis between twenty one and nineteen percent. Ouch. Yeah, and and so what can you say? Well, what you can say is is the venomous way that these people have jumped on to Twitter. I talked about the community notes thing. So now there's like this thing where. Everyone's saying the DeSantis accounts are weaponizing this thing called community notes where if you post anything, they can tag community notes. They can all like spam it with complaints. And then a big fat bold faced community note will be right under your post that says what these people said about Ron DeSantis is not true. <laughs> and they've been doing it on a lot of the official Trump team like Stephen Chong. And is it Jason like, it's Miller. like emailing the FBI back in the day? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we need you to shadow ban this account. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. You have the Ron DeSantis kickoff. Now you have community notes weaponized against Trump. Why doesn't Elon Musk, who is now no longer officially the CEO of Twitter, the the WEF inserted person who Elon said she's very good, won't even call her great, started her job today. Why is Twitter being weaponized against Donald Trump the same fucking way it was in 2020? And, and this time, instead of not using FBI agents and, and, and agents from the Department of Homeland Security, we're letting like fucking jenna ellis and dave rubin and all the retards aaron perrine over at never back down and adam Axel. why are they getting to spam everyone's america first post about donald trump and saying that they're not real Mm. or they're unfactual it's just stupid 
Well, it's just like the it's just like the fact checkers. It's not really. It's it's a politically based, yes, biased opinion mm-hmm. that has been proven in court because they literally had to admit to it to avoid prosecution. I don't think. Oh, we, these actually these are actually just opinion. Well, I agree. I, I don't think community notes should go away. I think community notes should be run by a third party, and I think the third party needs to completely vet each side of the argument before a community note is posted. Yeah, not just like this is what I what I wanted to say. You have Stan accounts with two hundred followers on Twitter that could fucking edit an official Wikipedia account. You don't think that this is going to turn into the same fucking thing on Twitter? Can like, anybody? It already is. Can't anybody edit a Wikipedia account technically? But I'm saying like the lowest of the low. Oh, yeah. The yeah, hot yeah. pocket eating basement dweller sitting in their underwear, mom telling them to clean up their rooms or can edit <laughs> Wikipedia. And now the same people and the, some of the same Stan accounts are doing the same shit mm. on Twitter. Again. Perfect. Rich Lowry, who has always been a never-Trumper, jumped on Fox News Sunday as we're getting ready to jump in with Colonel McGregor here. We're about to get the real deal on everything going on in Ukraine in just a minute. We're going to hear from this guy first who kind of... Wait, do we have a Wikipedia page yet for Steak for Breakfast? Well, you are our official Wikipedia correspondent. Oh, I'm not correspondent. No? Ain't nobody got time for that. All right, let's hear Rich Lowry instead. Just to be clear, if you look at his favorable, unfavorable ratings, especially in the early states, they're They're in the stratosphere. They're they're, uh, in some cases marginally better than Trump. So this isn't an issue of being mispositioned. And we're going to have now this uh, focus on DeSantis. If he smiles awkwardly, it's going to be a sign of of he's not a natural uh, guy. And this reporter who interrupted his interaction with voters to say he's not interacting with voters enough was absurd. He did a press gaggle in Iowa. He had a little clip from it at the start of the show. He did about 10 pull-side interviews interviews with local reporters. And down in South Carolina, he had one of these fireside chats where he opened it up to questions. So I think that there have been a lot of false narratives about him, and they're unfortunately just going to continue. <laughs> I do have some breaking news, and I do have to give them a little bit of credit. They've had their account since March. They are running as a super PAC backing the candidate who's going to take down the greatest political icon that we've ever known, Donald Trump. Ron DeSantis's Never Back Down Twitter page has officially... Caught steak for breakfast and followers on Twitter. Wait, what? Yeah, they now have 12.4 thousand followers. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's I mean, so- that's good. It's a pretty good time. I mean, us at the controls of our 12th account, 13th if you count my OG personal. If we hadn't gotten nuked as many times as we did, that we'd still be dwarfing them drastically. We certainly sure. would. But that's neither here nor there. That's the first half of the GOP roundup. Believe it or not, it gets worse. And we're going to jump into that as soon as we're done checking in with Colonel Douglas McGregor. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. You know how you've gotten that chewy, hard, disappointing jerky from the gas station? you got to try some of this jerky we just got from Farmer Bill's. It's soft and tender because it's cured and air-dried instead of dehydrated, like that other junk. Ingredient conscious, there's no sugar, no soy, or other additives, just beef, salt, and spices. Working on those gains, it's protein on the go with a very respectable... 32 grams of protein per two ounces. That's twice the amount of that other jerky. So if you'd like to support small business and you like your food source in the USA, order some Farmer Bills with the code STEAK for an extra five bucks off. Buy a 12-pack, you can get free shipping. The only thing better than this tender jerky is supporting an American-made company that shares your values. Get yourself some Farmer Bills traditionally air-dried beef jerky today. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's a retired U.S. Army colonel, one of our great friends, always looking forward to coming back and sitting down with Colonel Douglas McGregor. Thank you for joining us. Hey, happy to be here. Nailed it. Well, Colonel, 
I don't hate saying you were right, but every single thing you, you've pretty much talked about on the show for the last six months that you've been joining us has come to fruition here uh, regarding the war in Ukraine. I mean, while the New York Times spent the weekend uh, virtue signaling about maybe we should have some concerns about Nazi-related patches on Ukrainian soldiers' Weird. Uh, body armors, you were talking about failed spring offensives and not much happening going on with the summer one. It seems that is exactly where we're at right now. You were talking about blown up ammunition dumps last time. A week after you were on our show, we started seeing it trickle into the mainstream media, and we're coming back to talk to you today about the absolute latest. What can you tell us? Well, over the last three days, there have been what people are now calling probing attacks against Russian defenses. Things haven't turned out well for the Ukrainians. The, the Russians have had 210 wounded, 71 killed. The Ukrainians have lost nearly 4,000 people. 54 tanks, 210 armored fighting vehicles, 134 trucks, uh, four or five aircraft, in other words, fixed-wing jet fighters, and uh, two helicopters. That's a pretty, those are pretty costly probing attacks if you're trying to find a weak point in the Russian defenses. Now, of course, we have the dam over the Dnieper River Yep, that appears to have had an explosion uh, break the dam. And it looks like the explosion was from within the dam itself. So weird. Increasingly, it looks like one of the turbines, you know, the major engines that are powered by the water blew up. Now, whether or not that was done purposely by the Ukrainians or anybody else, I mean, Ukrainians obviously blame everything on the Russians. If the sun comes up two minutes late tomorrow morning, the Russians obviously held it back. <laughs> but uh, bottom line is, uh, you know, the the broken dam has actually made matters worse for the Ukrainians. Uh, they have uh, flooded many of the areas on the eastern side of the Dnieper where the Russians were defending. This actually makes the whole defense easier because you have a 900-mile defensive line. Now apparently 20, 30 miles of that has been uh, eliminated because of the flooding. And again, it's going to have a terrible impact on the city of Kherson. It's going to be flooded. Uh, there's no good news for Ukraine. And, and now I, I guess we have to wait for the major offensive because I have a feeling that the dam breaking the way it has is the sort of signal for this big offensive to start. Now, Colonel, I've seen quite a few uh, accounts on, on Twitter that have shown some videos released by uh Russian state media showing just what you said, some of those probing attacks, the armored personnel carriers, the tanks getting absolutely destroyed where they're, where they're coming through and trying to test Russian defense lines. In addition to that, you, you, you have to talk about some of the other things that are, that are going on here uh, with Vladimir Zelensky. I, I've noticed that a, a narrative kind of building in the background. Um, there was an article that came out, I believe it was in the New York Times like two weeks ago, saying that if this guy, and, and I'm paraphrasing now because the New York Times obviously lies about it a whole lot better than I'm going to say it, but if he doesn't get his shit together in the next six months, he could be the same kind of victim that we saw back in 2014 during the color revolution there in Ukraine. Essentially, they would you know, figure out a way to get rid of him because they know he's not going to be the guy to get us out of this mess. Do you see something like that coming down the pike for, for Zelensky even after? I mean, a lot of people are starting to question where all this money is going you have ukraine complaining all weekend that they don't have enough air defenses even though they're getting the long-range missiles and, and and the jets now to to support them so what do you think huh. <clears throat> i think the following uh, zelensky has always been washington's puppet mm -hmm. and the puppet is uh, rapidly become a serious liability he's certainly no asset if anything his interference with the conduct of military operations 
has actually worsened Ukraine's position. Uh, so I think that's clear. Secondly, there are articles floating around now about a supposedly frozen conflict, and it's written by people uh, who are neocons or globalists. In other words, you're hearing from within the camp that wants this war with Ukraine now start to talk about a, a Korea-like solution to the war, that somehow or another Ukraine is divided, and then the two armed camps sit across from each other. Now, if you wanted tangible evidence for the imminent failure of Ukraine and its military establishment, that's it. Because just a few weeks ago, it was glory to Ukraine. Victory is inevitable. The Russians are failing. And oh, by the way, they're still running out of missiles in case you hadn't heard, even though more missiles landed all over Ukraine last night. So the, the, the bottom line is things have gone very badly. You know, we're down to probably 18 to 20 million people left in Ukraine. Uh, they're they're running out of bodies to put into uniform. They brought back the 30 to 35,000 Ukrainian soldiers training in Germany, the Czech Republic, Canada, the United States. They're the ones that they're going to try and make the backbone for this uh, counteroffensive. And the Russians, of course, are, are could not be happier because the last several months sitting behind their defenses, they've annihilated probably 100,000 Ukrainians. Uh, we're looking at a, a death toll in Ukraine of somewhere between 300 and 350,000 at this point. Yeah. Russian deaths, perhaps 35,000. So this is not a war of attrition unless the attrition is all on the Ukrainian side. So I think, I, I think this thing is coming to some sort of conclusion this summer. The question is, what's it going to look like? And you know Washington. No one in Washington could admit that they made a terrible mistake. So I think I think we're going to see the Ukrainians bash themselves to pieces one more time. Then the Russian forces are going to move. And then it's a question of what uh, what does Moscow want to do and how far will it go? And thus far, the, the Moscow has been very cautious. And I think they've been cautious because they don't want to give Washington an, an excuse to try and intervene in Western Ukraine. Right. And they certainly don't want to precipitate a nuclear confrontation. No. So, so instead of sort of sledgehammer style, blasting everything at once and moving 300,000 soldiers into the attack, they've moved incrementally. I think we'll now see a more deliberate attack, captures more ground. They want Odessa. They want Kharkov. They'll probably overrun the rest of eastern Ukraine. And then I think there'll be a pause. And all we can do at this stage is hope that the Europeans change some governments. You know, Schultz is now about as popular as the Black Plague in Germany. <laughs> he's de-industrialized he's dis, he's de his country. Cheap energy is the lifeblood of modern scientific industrial power and civilization. He's cut it off. And the Germans have had it. He, he gave us, tried to give a speech yesterday. I watched it uh, on live stream. And uh, he was booed off the stage. He couldn't get a word out. He kept saying, we are trying to fight Russia. We are fighting Russia. And it's, woo, you know, forget it. <laughs> you know, we've heard that before. Uh, the Russians aren't coming. They're not going to attack Western Europe. They're not going to attack Poland. They're not going to attack anybody except the Ukrainians. Yep. They know it. And they, they've, they've kind of run out of time to push this narrative. Colonel, how big of a – now, you talk about Russia and holding 
their defenses and, and Ukraine basically losing so many troops along the way here. How large of a component has the Wagner Group been in, in making sure that Russia meets some of those uh, logistical benchmarks that they set out to at the beginning of this special operation or conflict right now? And and what do you think their role is moving forward as you as basically we all assume now they're going to continue to push a little bit east? The Wagner Group should be viewed by people not as mercenaries, but as essentially the Russian equivalent of a foreign legion. Uh, and during World War II, the foreign legion, which numbers in peacetime, 25, 30,000 max, went up to over 100,000. Uh, the Wagner Group was expanded and now numbers uh, somewhere between 50 and 60,000. That probably also includes some reinforcement from the Russian army's artillery and tanks and so forth. They have performed brilliantly. There's no question about it, just as the French Foreign Legion always performs brilliantly. There are a large number of Serbs. There are even some Germans. Yep. There, there are different kinds of people fighting inside the Wagner organization. So it really is a, a professional force like the French Foreign Legion. They are going to get a rest now, I suspect. And I, I imagine they'll be used against uh, tough, tough nuts that have to be cracked. You know, perhaps when they go into uh, Odessa, you know, to clear the city quickly, they may use Wagner. Uh, if they want to take control of some critical bridge sites, they may use Wagner. But the bulk of the Russian military, the army, hasn't really seen that much action. Right. They're ready. They are ready. They have pristine equipment. They're well-trained. They're ready to be unleashed. So Putin has got to make some decisions here, and I think they'll be made once it's clear that the Ukrainians are exhausted completely. Then I think they'll move. But again, he has never wanted to destroy Ukraine. Right. And secondly, he doesn't want to rule Ukraine. His preeminent concern was always the Russian part of the country, which is what he largely controls at this stage. The Russians there were being oppressed. They were third or fourth class citizens. They were told either Ukrainianize and abandon your Russian identity, language, culture, religion, or get out of the country. And many of them were being killed. Remember, there were 14,000 people killed in the eight years that preceded the outbreak of this conflict in February last year. And of those, 12,000 plus were Russians living in Luhansk and Donetsk, which are Russian areas. Yep. So, so the bottom line is he's he's largely accomplished that. And the question is, what are the Europeans going to do? Well, if the Germans wake up and get smart, and certainly the Germans are intelligent people, they get rid of Schultz. One would hope that uh, Macron would be sent packing by the French. If those kinds of things were to happen, I'm sure Putin would talk to new governments. The problem for Putin is why should he talk to us? Why should he talk to Macron or Schultz? They've lied before. Yep. Yeah, they have the, uh, you know, basically the, the League of African Nations looking to get them to the negotiation tables. But that's kind of w with a lot of CCP influence as well. So I, I saw that clip the other day where the, uh, the the president of South Africa pushed back on the BBC reporter. And he was saying, like, hey, Putin's going to come here for some, uh, you know, global summit regarding the economy. You guys going to arrest him when he gets off the plane? They're like, what, are you guys, <laughs> what are you guys talking about? They're like, dude, you guys killed like six million people in Iraq. And you said they were he, he literally said Tony Blair should have rode out of Iraq on a nuclear warhead. Mm -hmm. 
to his, to the reporter's face. And the reporter didn't know where to go with it. He's like, uh, are, are you, so you're not going to arrest him? He's like, no. <laughs> He's like, you guys need to just figure this out. That's the problem. All of these leaders, they don't want to do anything except look like they're doing the right thing. They've been absolutely doing the wrong thing. The people are starting to wake up, and we're going to hopefully start seeing some accountability at the ballot box everywhere from, like you said, France and Germany. We've already seen it a little bit in Italy and then over to the United States next year. Colonel, this has been awesome sitting down with you today. Of course, we're going to look to have you back at some time, hopefully later in the month on our show. We're going to live link your website in the show description today. Is there anywhere else you want us to live link that our people could check you out? No, I, I think uh, that's fine. Uh, you know, there's there's plenty of videos on YouTube that cover everything that we've discussed and that I've discussed in the past. I just hope the American people are going to pay very close attention finally because our problems here at home are infinitely worse than they were just six months ago. And this war makes no sense. It's not only a waste of money, it's a drain on our, our economic strength. It's a drain on our lifeblood because this country has no interest in going to war right now with anybody except maybe Mexico and the drug cartels. I could certainly make a case for that uh, after we close the border. But right now, there's no reason for any of this nonsense to go on. No, I mean, when you've got Secretary of State Tony Blinken getting, you know, yelled at by his CCP counterparts over the course of the last 48 hours and then heckled while he's coming out of the Henry Kissinger 100th birthday extravaganza, you know where our foreign policy and our geopolitical uh, stance in the world right now is failing, and it's definitely one of the parts of it is on the battlefield in eastern Ukraine. Colonel, this is awesome sitting down with you again, and we'll be looking forward to having you back on the show soon. Okay, take care, guys. Well, I mean, first of all, the last story of the last three months is that no matter what happens, Trump's supporters are for Trump, uh, and he's above 50%. Second, the DeSantis had a shot at consolidating, so it became a race between two people. He totally failed to do that. That's why you're seeing all these new candidates. And that means that instead of being one of two, DeSantis is now one of many. And they're all, it's, it's like they're fishing in a small lake, and there's this huge lake next door called Trump, and they can't break into that lake. If it continues this way, Trump will be the nominee by the end of March. Oof. Uh, Robert, does it help Trump to have more candidates there then? Absolutely. And going on what the speaker just said, one of the things we find funny is when we ask people second choices, even though we tell them you have to choose somebody other than your first choice, the Trump people always choose Trump again. <laughs> they should they should have <laughs> curtain, curtain called Robert Caffaley. That's the first time he's reared his ugly head since his awful fucking picks in the 2022 midterm election. <laughs> I want to ask him, if he ever comes on this show, first thing I'm going to ask him, so is Kerry Lake still up by nine points day before the election? <laughs> Eesh. Now, we all know they had their problems there, and God bless Carrie Lake and, and her endeavors on, on cranking out her new book and fighting for election integrity in Arizona ahead of the 2024 presidential election, but that guy was a fucking asshat with some of the picks that he had going on every single outlet known to man and telling everybody that we were going to red wave like we've never seen before. And that was Newt Gingrich saying, that's the first time I've ever heard Donald Trump compared to a body of water. So <laughs> Lake Trump is a real thing now, apparently. Really? Should we refer to him as that? I don't really like it too no, much. No, it doesn't have a very good zing to it. Well, I know what you're not going to like. Former <laughs> disgraced FBI director, James Comey. Jim, if you will. Oh, Jim. I do have my uh, always elusive Jim Comey blocked you. <laughs> <laughs> Pokemon card on Twitter. 
So when people are throwing them out there, like, hey, listen, anybody can get a Christina Peshaw or a Dave Rubin or a Buck Sexton, but you drop a Jim Comey, and that's listen. You sank my battleship. Well, they're setting up surveillance on your house. <laughs> <laughs> he sat down on MSDNC, where of course he's a contributor now, to talk about the GOP primary field, more specifically how post apop. <laughs> can't even say it post-apocalyptic <laughs> a trump presidency would look like uh, in 2024 uh, listen to this projection right here oh and he sits down with noah's favorite red-headed former Ugh. white house folks god law and and this is something similar language that i hear privately from national security officials some people you and i both know who will say this privately about what a second term could mean but tell me a little bit about the specifics of what he could try to do what do you mean by that well think about what four years of a retribution presidency might look like awesome he could order the investigation and prosecution of individuals who he sees as enemies. I'm sure I'm on the enemies list. Because the president constitutionally does oversee the executive branch entirely, which includes the Department of Justice, prosecutors and investigators. And so he could commission direct that individuals be pursued. He could also direct all kinds of other conduct that people would maybe take to court to try to stop. But who enforces court orders? Mm -hmm. Mostly the United States Marshals Service, which is in part of the executive branch and reports to the president. And so President Trump could say, I don't care what the Supreme Court says or these district judges say. I'm telling the Marshals Service, don't enforce the court order. And so our Constitution really does give a rogue president, which is what this would be, tremendous power to destroy. And so that's why I'm trying to warn people. Given the way he said he intends to operate if he's reelected, this will be something we could never have imagined. Again, it seems like science fiction in a way, but it's what another four years of Donald Trump really promises, which is why people criticize CNN for their town hall. I want the American people to stare at the threat that we're facing and understand that they cannot take the next election off. Oh, scissor me timbers. <laughs> Did he literally just say that in Donald Trump's second term, he would do exactly what what they did. The current president of the United States, the FBI, the DOJ, the administrative state is doing to Donald Trump right now as a private citizen. Basically. <laughs> There's that project thing again. Project, oh deflect, project. It's the only thing they've got. Mm. They've literally got nothing. You know who else doesn't got anything? Current New Hampshire governor, now officially not wanting the Trump smoke, Chris Sununu sat down with CNN for a fireside chat this weekend to make a very big announcement. We all saw it coming. Hate to see him go, won't hate to see him leave. Let's hear it. In the last six months to really kind of look at things where everything is, and I've made the decision not to run for president on the Republican <laughs> ticket in 2024. Aww. Obviously, a lot goes into that decision, but um, it's been quite an adventure, but not the end of the adventure by any means. Why? Why won't you run? Well, you, when you look at what's you. happening, I won't there, win. you obviously have a very large field. Um, uh, I think the former president, Trump, is doing much better in the polls than folks thought. And you're polling and at zero. And when I looked at where my voice can be, 
how we make the Republican Party uh, bigger. The responsibility that I think I have in terms of focusing on the Republican Party and ultimately focusing on the, the opportunities for the country um, and having a little more of a candidate, a little more unleashed voice and, and getting folks to not just worry about, well, well is it a vote for Chris Sununu? I'm not worried about no, that. It's not. I want more independence on the Republican Party team. I want more young voters on the Republican Party team. I am tired of losing U.S. Senate races and governor's races. And clearly, I, I talk a bit candidly, I think as, as folks appreciate, I think more folks within the Republican Party have to have that kind of voice, that kind of emphasis of message, and making sure that this is about the Republican Party, not just about the former president. But part of your decision is about the former president, right? <laughs> it, oh, sure. It's about the, the, the size of the field. There are 12, by the end of the week, there Good will be for 12 you, Dana candidates Bash. for the mm. Republican nomination. Yeah. And you're not going to be one of them, but Oof. you think that's oh, too big. Oh. Well, it's, it's, look, I don't mind who gets into the field, but given where the polls are right now, every candidate needs to understand the responsibility of getting out and getting out quickly if it's not working. Uh, and I can be more candid about that as the governor of the first in the nation primary, calling candidates, candidates out, saying, look, you gave it a try, you're still in low single digits, you gotta get out of the race. And I'm, not, and I'm not- By when, what's the deadline? Christmas at the latest. Mm. If we do what we did in 2016, you're gonna have a, somebody win this nomination with 35% of the Republican support. The GOP's that, that's not fault. where we should be as a party. That's not where anybody wants to be. But it's not just somebody for you, it's Donald Trump. Well, it is, but again, <laughs> it's, it's somebody who is in the past. <laughs> Say He's he served the country. <laughs> Thank you for your service. We have to be a party in a country that goes forward. And if we're only talking about Donald Trump, then we're only talking about relitigating elections or January 6th. No, we're that's only talking you about guys. Yesterday. But this is the United States of America. As a candidate, you've got to be, be what you're going to bring to the table, how you're going to change things, what you're going to do. And that's what gets people excited. We've taken Secure borders, prosecuting people that are breaking the law. Uh, that's not what gets you excited. Antoinette, are you excited? Are you turned on by Chris Sununu? He's very candid. He said it three times. So hot. So hot. I don't know. that President Sununu doesn't really have the same ring to it. Yeah. Sounds like a Star Trek character. My guess is <laughs> look for former Governor Chris Sununu to be the head of an anti-Trump, never-Trump super PAC moving forward. Oh, of course, forward. yeah. So, <laughs> listen. I love I, how she kept going for it, though. That was awesome. Oh, she wanted him to say his name. That's, that's, that's what you have to do. You have to say his name. And, and from what we've heard so far, you know, Vivek's vague Ukraine policy, he kind of wants everybody to think that he's going along with the direction of Trump, but... You know, won't call it a border skirmish and won't stop short of saying Putin isn't a war criminal. And then you have right. Nikki Haley, who's all in for World War III. Um, Ron DeSantis, who still has zero policy platform on his website. Because when he goes to speaking events, he just regurgitates Donald Trump. And at the end of every single Donald Trump regurgitated policy says, and then I will defeat leftism and abolish wokeism across the country. And it's just like... Nobody cares. What are those things? Right. Wait, who is that? Ron DeSantis. Yeah, that was a Rob. He he sounds more boring than you did in that. DeSantis. Yeah. <laughs> I miss I miss Chubby Rob because And we're gonna defeat wokeism. He literally was Mayor Quimby. <laughs> I do see him in his future Fox commentator and, and probably regular spot on the five in the future. Him being somewhere between where he was in Chris Christie and a lot more sweaty. Yeah. Ooh, that that upper lip sweat, mm. that that weird Florida moisture. Former Arkansas governor, <laughs> current. I don't even know if I can call him candidate because he's polling at anywhere between zero and one percent. Asa Hutchinson, you guys are going to see where I'm going with this now because we talk about candid language. We're gonna 
I'm going to read some candid language after this clip. He sat down with Maria this weekend and uh, was piggybacking off the narrative of Chris Sununu not running for president and telling people to get out of the race because of Donald Trump. Let's hear him. Says he's out because having too many in the field is only going to help Donald Trump. Your reaction? Well, I'm a fan of Chris Sununu. <clears throat> and, of course, the fact that he's out There's really the opens of the up anti-Trump Hampshire Super again. Pack. And so excited about uh, going there and making my case. Uh, there in New Hampshire as well as just uh, coming back from Iowa but uh, whenever you look at the field you got to remind yourself this is June the Iowa caucus is, is in February I believe and so you're going to have a long history of ups and downs between now and then you know six months is a lifetime in American politics and so if you say you want to narrow the field to only one candidate taking on Donald Trump you know, who is that going to be and who's going to be able to survive? And that's what the voters have got to figure out. And I think the fact that we have probably half as many candidates now as we did in 2016 means we're going to have probably one debate, a robust debate, ideas, and nothing could be better for the American people and for uh, the Republican voters to listen to these candidates talk about what's your position on supporting Ukraine, which I support. What is your Good position you. on America's global leadership and on the border security? What's your experience in solving these issues? So thank goodness we're going to have candidates in there talking about the future of the party and the future of our country. So there's the co-chair for the Chris Sununu-led Never Trump, Anti-Trump Super PAC <laughs> after he gets knocked out of the race. Perfect. I know I promised it, and here it is. You want to talk about candid. So, of course, Donald Trump took to True Social last night, and this is what happens when he did the town hall with Hannity last week, and Sean Hannity asked him about toning down the rhetoric and not being so, well, candid when you put out these true social posts. I want to keep reminding everybody, Donald Trump's fiduciary responsibility to true social ended June 1. So he can come back at any time. It's on. Who knows what's going to be the trigger mark? I mean, he it was weird. On Facebook and Instagram, it was just like Trump posts started. I got notifications for Trump posts. And I think we'll see the same on Twitter. It won't be like this big announcement. I'm coming back. There's going to be like... A, He's just going to sneak one in randomly in the middle of the night. Those nipples protruding... <laughs> <laughs> or taco bowls. <laughs> but this one's, this one's up there. So last night, it was late on the West Coast, so it was the middle of the night where Donald Trump was. He, they moved up to Bedminster last week for the summer. Many say don't, quote, punch down when talking about people like Chris Sununu, Sloppy Chris Christie, and Ada Hutchinson, <laughs> or others. Sometimes it's necessary to talk badly about those for no reason other than politics who speak badly about you. When you have to put them in proper perspectives, you have to put them in their place. He would go on to say, Rhino Chris Sununu stated in his fake opinion, published New York Washington Compost. Wow. I'm not running for president in 2024. Beating Trump is more important. No, he's not running for president because he's polling at zero and he has no chance of winning. The people of New Hampshire have gotten wise to Chris Sununu and they no longer like or respect him. I never liked him, but always did whatever he asked for the state. Because I wanted to help New Hampshire, and I did. <laughs> Sloppy Chris Christie. That's so funny. Oh, boy. Things are going to heat up. Raheem oh. Kassam was uh, making the rounds yesterday. I don't know if you guys saw it. He did, I think, the slate of everybody's show. He was on 
Big Head Charlie. He was on War Room. He was on Human Events with Jack Posobiec. And he was letting everybody know, regardless of what all these people are shooting out there right now, especially when you talk about Ron DeSantis just spouting Trump policies and saying they're his own, you're not going to pull the wool over the eyes of MAGA, especially when it comes to things like stuff that happened during the pandemic as well, which Ron DeSantis' team likes to rewrite history on. Let's hear Raheem. And, and the way he's approaching this campaign, which, which kind of just baffles me, is you, you go out there and you talk about policy issues and you go out there and you sort of pretend to run to the right on the vaccines and, and, and lockdowns and things like that on Trump. But then when people actually go through the record, the tail of the tape, as it were, as it, as it pertains to Florida, all they can actually end up pointing to is a slightly faster course correction than some other governors in the country. Now, DeSantis, the way he course corrected certainly took him to the right of almost every other governor over the course yeah. of that time. But his record on the actual issue when it mattered, his walking around wearing yeah. his mask with Dr. Fauci, praising him on air, uh, locking down the beaches, uh, stopping sports being played, all of that sort of thing, it's out there for everyone to see. And I think they thought that they could fool people faster. And I'm here to tell you, you can't fool MAGA world that easily. It yeah. just doesn't happen like that. You have to no, be, you smarter, have to be selling the single yeah. most most convincing lie in the world yeah. and you'll only sometimes get some people to believe it they're not even doing that go community notes that one mm. never back down as we're getting ready to jump in with sean parnell for the first time really excited about that i think he's going to become a regular contributor on the show because we've always tracked him since we really hoped that he was able to run for senate back in 2022 but didn't work out now he's got a podcast He's running around doing America First stuff. He's definitely stumping for President Trump. It's going to be good to kind of share the narrative that he's got on his podcast in the same way we've got here. I do think that when you listen to Raheem, you talk about stuff about, you know, policies like the border, policies like being tough on China or whatever that means when, when these politicians are saying it, trying to rewrite history on COVID. We've outlined from day one, we were broadcasting our podcast through the pandemic. Ron DeSantis did a phenomenal job after the fact. He wasn't the first. He wasn't the revolutionary on, on, on fighting Fauci and, and standing up to the Biden administration. He, but he did some really good things during the pandemic. You just can't say that you didn't do them, though. You can't say that I stood in the breach of COVID and didn't let the dystopian policies come to Florida. You were hyped when those first 20,000 vials of COVID vaccine got to the first hospital in late December of 2020. In Tampa Bay, you did numerous public events where people were getting vaccinated. A World War II vet who got vaccinated live on TV with you died three weeks later. Yeesh. Now, was it from COVID vaccine comp complications? Who knows? But he still died. It's a human prop. You wore masks in public. You wore masks in public with Trump. Like, you can't refute these things. Bars, mm. skate parks, schools, and businesses were shuttered. People went to jail. For violating those failure to closes. They bulldozed sand into a skate park yeah. on the beach. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's insanity. There's pictures of two by fours bolted together through basketball hoops in they're, fucking they're sanity. People by themselves. Like, they were arresting people who were just by themselves on the beach walking. walking. They arrested a guy stand up paddle boarding. Jesus. Hundreds of yards away from another yeah. living soul. Mm -hmm. Probably the safest place he could be. Right. In the fucking sun, which is actually beneficial. 
That's what's in fucking sanity. And as Donald Trump gave power to the states and governors like Ron DeSantis to do whatever they did, Ron DeSantis kind of had a trickle down, you know, power structure during the pandemic as well. The three most populated states in Florida were now starting to find out had more crappy COVID lockdown policies than some of the least or less populated areas of the state did, which sounds normal, but you just can't act like it didn't happen, guys. No. And, and again, I, I'm putting out a new Substack today. It's it should be the end all debate for Trump and DeSantis on the pandemic. Nobody did everything right. Some people did some things great, but nobody was perfect. And, and to think that you're going to fool the American public when there's public record, um, it's just not going to happen. So in our last audio clip of the day, unfortunately for Noah, we have to touch back on that groundbreaking interview Jen Psaki had with FBI Director James Comey because we all know the Democrats do one thing better than anybody else, even better than projection. They lay all their cards out on the table and say, like, this is the stance that we've always had, so why would we change it? Why would you say we're doing bad stuff when we told you exactly what we were going to do? Let's hear the former FBI Director. Most of your life, uh, but voted for, and you may still consider yourself one, but voted for Biden in 2020. Do you intend to vote for him again, or is there anyone on the Republican side you might consider if it's not Trump? It has to be Joe Biden. And and I'm glad he's willing to serve. It has to be somebody committed to the rule of law, committed to the values of this country. And I'm not talking about policy. People can disagree about policy. There are things above those disagreements that all of us should think about the same way. The president must be someone who abides the law in our Constitution. And there's no one else but Joe Biden. So literally the person who may have accepted a $5 million bribe that the FBI knew about at some point when James Comey was the director is the most upholding of the law as president of them all. See what I'm trying to say? Mm-hmm. It's crazy. And some of the news this week has been crazy. And it's only going to get crazier. We've got Christopher Ray probably getting held in contempt this week. Who knows what else is going to be popping off between here and Ukraine and China and Russia. Um, we can only imagine. And I'm, I'm sure the, uh, Woke leftism will be getting defeated at all-time highs as well. But we'll be back on, uh, you know, Friday to check in on all the news items. And like I already had mentioned, Sean Parnell's about to jump in now. But before we hit it with him, let's hear one more time from one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is hand-picked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. The cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you get a promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, we're really happy to host for the first time. He's a combat veteran, New York Times bestselling author, and he's the host of the Battleground podcast. Sean Parnell, thanks for coming on Steak for Breakfast. Hey, what's going on, guys? You know what? Uh, Thanks for having me, first of all. But second of all, I was going to come into this podcast with a paper plate and steak, just (laughs) eating it slowly, just to come in in the most dramatic fashion imaginable that would have been a first but we wouldn't have not liked it i think we would have pretty much loved it (laughs) and uh if you would have aided 
did a little uh, into the microphone, I think our listenership would have appreciated too, as you are a handsome man. <laughs> a lot of people know. So we're not going to discredit you for that one. Sean, it's great to finally have you. You know, we've, we've tracked you since for a long time since your Senate run. You know, we, we've talked on Twitter for years, and now we finally get you on the show. We're excited to do that. There's so much stuff to talk about. We know you're, you're unwaveringly America first. You're a huge representation of the base with your podcast, uh, Battleground. And, and, and I think the number one topic that everybody's talking about right now, even above the FBI whistleblowers and, and the debt ceiling getting passed, is the 2024 race. It's really materialized over the course of the last two weeks. We're going to have probably three more candidates uh, jump in today, which is Tuesday. And uh, it's broadened the field to 12. I mean, we know here, at least on State for Breakfast, pretty sure on your shows as well, there's only one real horse in this race. But do you think the dynamic, the polls, maybe the content of eventual debates after the first one at least uh, changes now that these other candidates are getting in? I don't. And let's put it into perspective. Let's take a look back at at 2016, where President Trump became the nominee with something like 32 or 33 percent of the vote in a large field. Right uh, now we have a, a similar dynamic, a, a very large field that's declared for president. I think that the field today is larger than it was back then. And Donald Trump is already well over 50 percent. So that is a critical threshold for any candidate, uh, especially it's especially relevant and, and demonstrates his strength just by virtue of how large the field is. I think I, I think he's the guy. And and to be clear, and I, and I say this uh, on, on many of the interviews that I do, uh, like by the numbers empirically, Donald Trump is the most popular Republican president ever period end of story he he received more votes than any other president in in our party's history he was the last president republican president uh to win the state of pennsylvania since ronald reagan and then our uh, by the way gop uh controlled state legislature changed the law and you know brought in act 77 which is our state's no excuse mail-in ballot law to and he lost in the state lost in the state of pennsylvania in 2020 by 80,000 votes but there's even context to that that nobody talks about you know our democrat controlled supreme court in the state of pennsylvania removed uh the libertarian candidate from the uh or removed the green party candidate from the ballot yep. uh, the presidential ballot kept the libertarian candidate on the ballot president trump lost by 80,000 votes, a libertarian candidate got 79,000 votes. So the mm. Democrats, every step of the way, have done everything they can to defeat this guy. And I think you're seeing, even in all these investigations, one hoax trotted out after another, two impeachment scandals, whatever. It's just one hoax after another to try to stop this guy. And that's precisely because they know Donald Trump can win. I mean, that's it right there. We, we, we talked to some people on the Trump team over the weekend who can confirm but have alluded to the fact that an indictment's probably going to come down this week. It looks like Merrick Garland, who's probably one of the biggest revenge hires in all of Washington politics, is going to charge Donald Trump with obstruction of justice instead of anything technically related to the documents. And, and you know, it, it just seems like when we need a boost in the polls, stuff like this happens. But at the same time, when you talk about, you know, the political persecution of, of one man and, and, you know, in a non-digital age, we've seen it before with people kind of like Nixon when they got, had a couple scandals with Reagan, but never at this level, like homes being raided in and out of court every week, you know, legal team on the news for years at a time. What, what do you, what is the deal here? Is, is it the fact that he was so able to get 
that much stuff done for the American people. Really big wins at home, but even more geopolitically throughout the course of his career, uh, you know, and first term in office, that that they just don't want to have someone who can't be manipulated by lobby groups or influence. It just seems like it's it's lawfare only, the only thing that works on Trump. And, and to this point, nothing is stuck. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And, and here's the thing. I think Donald Trump, during his time in the White House and his four years as president, accomplished more than any other president in our lifetime. I mean, America, within a year of him being in office, was energy independent as a net energy exporter. That is an unbelievable thing. I think gas was $1.82 a gallon back then. That's significant because that helps lower income people heat their homes, put gas in their car, put food on the table for their families. A real world, real life impact for Americans. He, this guy was was a president that brought American manufacturing back through tariffs on China. Uh, this guy w- brought illegal immigration in this country down to historic lows. He brought about peace in the Middle East as somebody who's fought over there, something that I would never see in my lifetime. So the guy did extraordinary things during his four years in the White House. But what has always been remarkable to me about President Trump is his ability to resist groupthink on either side of the aisle. And anybody who's ever spent any time in Washington, there's a reason why they say it's inside the beltway. It's because a lot of the, the K Street folks, the lobbyists, the advisors, they go from one campaign, one administration, one White House to the next. They're congressional staffers that now working for different uh, Senate incumbents. They all stay inside the beltway. They all think the same way. And Donald Trump brought something different from the outside. And I think that D.C. inherently fears, you know, this is why this is where the term the uniparty comes from. But I think that 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 inside the Beltway folks fear someone who thinks differently. And a perfect example of this is is Donald Trump's foreign policy. I mean, everybody made Donald Trump out to be like this guy, this crazy, this crazy guy who had his finger on the nuclear button. He was going to bring about World War Three. But the fact of the matter is, and you both know this, that nothing could have been further from the truth. He Don, Donald Trump was the ultimate peace president, yep. you know, and he leaves office and all of a sudden Afghanistan you know, falls by the wayside. We surrender there in one of the most catastrophic surrenders in American history. And then we immediately, before we can even get Americans out of the field in Afghanistan, uh, are involved in another war in Ukraine, which actually could lead to World War III. And Donald Trump wouldn't have allowed any of it to happen. No, and at the same time, you've got China popping off. It just seems like geopolitically, I think the Biden administration, when they came in, thought that there was Oh, yeah, that that won't happen. We don't have to put as much of attention. We don't have to make as a big deal as Donald Trump did. We don't have to, like, go out and virtue single on our behalf. It wasn't virtue singling on Donald Trump's behalf. I believe Donald Trump when he said he called Putin and said one boot on the ground in Ukraine, Moscow nuked. Whether or not Putin believed him, whether or not Donald Trump was serious, I do believe when Donald Trump references conversations like that, those conversations happen. It's to the point now to where our counterparts won't even pick up the phone. Well, and then it's one of the one things that the other side will actually agree on sometimes is that none of this stuff would have happened while Trump was in office. Yeah. That's the one thing we can agree on. I, I completely agree. And, and allow me, if you will, to, to dispel a, a, a narrative that is that we see all too often in the media and something like, if you look back to 2020, 2022, the idea that, um, Donald Trump isn't popular, that his support in the Republican party is wavering, that Trump candidates can't win. I think all that's BS. And let's look to, I want to do a comparison of two different candidates in 2022, if you will, Terry Lake, uh, in Arizona. I love her. She was, I think she was my favorite candidate this side cycle. Same. She's strong. She's fierce. She's, 
She understands the media well. She can articulate her points well. She understands what it means to lead and take unpopular decisions because sometimes as a leader, you got to do that. She lost. And now, no, now by the way, I, I, I again, I use the term lost loosely because they clearly cheated in Maricopa County. Yep. I mean, all those election machines going down at the same time. There was clearly some funky stuff going on there. But all of that aside, you know, she loses in Arizona. And then you have Adam Laxalt, right, who is a great, great guy and a great Senate candidate, and, but, but by and large interpreted to be a, a fairly establishment guy. He also lost. So you have, it's not Trump candidates losing because Donald Trump is backing them and establishment candidates winning. That is garbage. That is a narrative that is pushed to divide our party so that we fight amongst each other. The reality is the Democrat machine is beating both establishment Republicans and Trump Republicans. And that should, you know, raise the red flag for any conservative who cares about this country and the idea that we need to focus on how to win elections, focus on specific election laws in specific states and focus on election integrity and and ballot harvesting where it's legal or ballot chasing in states like Pennsylvania where ballot harvesting is not. But we need to change the way we think about elections. Otherwise, we're going to continue to lose. That is the case. And and, and you see people like, uh, you know, I, I was reading an article this morning that there's some relief up on Capitol Hill that, you know, uh, candidates, possible candidates like Doug Mastriano, there was another one I can't remember off the top of my head, that had declared that they're not bowing out for the race and people were like celebrating like, oh, the GOP could finally roll out some normal candidates, uh, you know, in the Senate runs where if you just look at the numbers, uh, Sean, I mean, you know it, the Dems got 25 seats up, I believe it's, it's 23 regular seats, two independents and Republicans only have 10 to defend. Uh, when you see stuff like endless cash going to Ukraine or even the debt ceiling bill, how easily it passed through the Senate last week. I mean, you got to be able to just say, like, guys, what are we doing? We we have, like, more than a phenomenal chance here to go and take back the Senate. We have, a, you know, the number one political icon of all time that's going to be the GOP nominee in Donald Trump. And then in the House, it's going to be, listen, it's how America looks at Kevin McCarthy and whether or not he deserves a referendum on on what he's doing with Joe Biden right now. It was good up until about two weeks ago. Not really good right now. So if he can make that up in the next 17 months, that's on his shoulders. But the fact of the matter is there there are more than one likely scenarios where we could have all three chambers for America first in 2025. But it seems like yeah, any, any, any time that hot potato is thrown in our lap, we're just like, oop, too hot, throw it right back. I, I mean, you're, you're I, I think you're so right. And Republicans are great at squandering any power or mandate that they win through elections. And a perfect example of this was Donald Trump's first two years in office. Yep. We, we Republicans in the House and the Senate failed to fund the border wall, which would cost $4 billion, but yet two years of Joe Biden, three years of Joe Biden, we've sent over $100 billion to Ukraine. I mean, by the way, in Ukraine, what's the mission? What's the end? What's the end state? How do we know when victory is declared? Russia is never going to surrender. Nope. At best, what we see right now in Ukraine is going to be a 10 to 15 year stalemate if conditions on the ground don't change, if not Russia winning, which is a scenario that nobody wants. And by the way, anybody who by, be, being anti-war and believe me, somebody who came up and spent 20 years of his life fighting wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. 30 friends die. It used to be a popular liberal position to be anti-war. It's not anymore. And so you see all these liberals and Democrats in office with Ukrainian flags uh, next to their name on Twitter, but don't really understand any of the geopolitical, uh, any of the geopolitical consequences of that fight and what a deeper involvement 
of America means in Ukraine. And, and what I say to the American people all the time, Democrats, Republicans, independent, otherwise, is Ukraine so important to you that you're willing to send your own son and daughter over there to die for that country? If the answer to that question is no, then you should probably remove the Ukrainian flag from your bio because <laughs> if things are left unchecked, that's where it's headed. Yep. I've got, I've got, you know, five kids right now, an amazing blended family, 16 and 14, two, the girl and a boy, two oldest. They're two years and four years away, respectively, of potentially having to go fight some war in Ukraine that most of America has no idea uh, what the geopolitical consequences of which could be. And, and, and that's not something that, that I want to do. And I don't think it's, it's something that any American wants. No, when you see the, how the BRICS nations are now angling the manipulation of the CCP over the over the you know blanket of all of this, they're they're you know working with Russia, they're working with Ukraine, they're dealing with all of our uh, geopolitical allies and foes, trying to form a coalition to strangle us economically, and then if anything pops off, it's going to be a large delegation of, of nations will be up. I mean, the, the next world war, God forbid, if it ever happens, won't be a very long one, and it will be a very ugly one, not just for the American people, but I think for the human race. And, uh, you know, for all the people who like to wear those lapel pins or, or, you know, try to get accounts banned on Twitter for saying that, listen, the only way to end this war is to get to the negotiation table and that's pretty much it are, are just absolutely absurd they don't live in, live in the real world and they really don't uh take into consideration what the ultimate consequences are like you said you've lost so many uh fellow servicemen and women along the way sean and it's it's something that people don't get to experience on a person-to-person level and it really makes for uh you know, when they try to get their point across, they just have no idea what they're talking about. So you fortunately did know what you were talking about today on Steak for Breakfast. We were so glad you came down and, and shared <laughs> some time with us today. I think we've laid out the groundwork for you. Now you have to come back because I love this segment. Noah was nodding and and, and, and jumping in here the whole time. And, and our listenership just absolutely loves you. We're going to live link your uh, Rumble channel and show in the show description today. But for anyone that's not following you, where can they check you out? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I'll come back anytime you want. Um, but yeah, hey, I'm on Twitter at Sean Parnell USA. You can find me on Facebook. I'm also on Getter as well at Sean Parnell USA and on Instagram at official Sean Parnell. I love you guys. I love what you're doing. I I've listened to your podcast for a long time and just keep hammering away and, and, and supporting President Trump and and because that's what that's what the base of this party wants. I mean that it plain and simple. And we gotta stop with the infighting certainly do and we'll be talking about that a whole lot more when we have back the host of the battleground podcast combat veteran new york times best-selling author <laughs> sean Pardell. thanks for joining us on the show thanks for having me guys not a bad way to start the week what do you think gang i like it listen if you if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and want to hear the now over 245 other editions of the show make sure you're subscribed to us across every downloadable podcasting platform that's apple spotify google iheart Sign up for the show, leave a review, five-star rating, and then across social medias, make sure you're subscribed everywhere. In addition, thenationalpulse.com, that's thenationalpulse.com, is the one-stop shop. You're going to find everything steak for breakfast. Make sure you're subscribing to the Pulse Plus membership as well. Not only are you getting one month free on Raheem Kassam, you're going to get bonus content, which is editorial commentary from some of the absolute best in the game. You're getting bonus content. In the form of podcasts from Steak for Breakfast, our Sunday show, Red Meat, absolutely love it, and our guest lineup is only going to be getting better. And of course, from Fleckus Talks, Bonus Land. So make sure you're signed up there at thenationalpulse.com as well. We want to thank all of our guests for coming in today: Congressman Troy Nels, Congressman George Santos, Sean Parnell for the first time, and retired Army Colonel Douglas McGregor. They definitely helped make steaks great again. 
Guys, don't worry. We'll be back on Friday with episode 246 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. We're going to have Eli Crane, former Secretary Bernhardt, Miss Christina Bob, and Michael Johns all joining us on the show. So on behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Antoinette? Bye, guys. See you soon. Have a great rest of the week. Y'all stay safe out there. Take care. You know, where are the documents that were in these empty top secret files that were found at Mar a Lardo? Mar a Lardo. Mar a Lardo. Mar a Lardo. Mar a Lardo. Powered by the National Pulse.